Hey. Hello. How we doing? We're well. Um, I don't know why, but my porch light is dim. You look a little like you're in the shadows lurking. And I I think the LED is finally dying. It's, I mean, forever, you know? It's probably installed like 15 years ago. No, no, no. It's probably been almost a year since I changed it, which is interesting because, I mean, I don't really remember too much of eighth grade science, but I just remember them saying uh, light emitting diode never goes bad. And it's yeah. like, well, I don't know about this one. Uh, so what's going it's on, my friend? More dramatic lighting. It sets the ambiance. Yes. Uh, not a whole lot, man. Casey Cannon will be joining us at some point here soon. Excellent. Good. Good. Uh, so I put that that Cox was going to be with us too, but he is not. Oh, see, I it's thought he said he was Casey. Gonna. Well, he was aiming for the 15th but right but i thought in our group chat earlier he said he was going to screw it i'll just come oh i don't know if that was the case or not probably ought to message him and find out <laughs> yeah actually i just got two pings so let me see if that was him <clears throat> everyone's very impressed that you're on time well, see, here's the thing is that, you know, you're late once and you're that guy, but I'm not normally that late. It's you start without me early. That's the problem. It's a little bit of both. I'd say it's a 60-40, you start early. Fair enough. How's my audio tonight? It's good. All right, good, because it's drizzling. And I was really excited for tonight because we actually got our first cool, crisp morning this morning. Yeah. It was a it was a breezy seventy two degrees, and I was optimistic. And then the overcast came in. It's just been muggy and raining, and it's like nine hundred percent humidity right now. But it's only like seventy six degrees, so it's tolerable. But I did go and try and buy one of the Escapeless Snake Bite Foundation hoodies, like you're wearing right now. And it said, "We're sorry, that campaign is not being run right now." Would you like us to notify you? And I was like, ah, oh, damn. All right. Well, you know what? Hopefully I'll try and get one before I actually, quote unquote, need it in South Florida. And uh, like two days later, they sent me an email. The campaign's back on. So if you want your hoodie, buy it now. So uh, it's supposed to be delivered in, I guess, three to five weeks. <laughs> so. Yeah. A lot of that drop shipping stuff like Teespring and whatnot, they, they take their sweet time. But it is what it is. Mine actually got here pretty quick, though. Like mine took wasn't nearly as slow as that so no maybe, and i i ordered it, it two out. weeks ago oh really yeah i ordered it two weeks ago and then i got the confirmation email saying hey we have your money we're gonna make it and then i got curious because uh, i have some stuff coming from uh the Conixis cooperative as well and i know that they were a little delayed with getting their swag so uh i looked at my invoice from bonfire and it was like it shall be delivered between november 21st and november 27th or something i'm like geez all right well this is episode 97 of snakes and stogies which is brought to you by puget sound pythons right up here in the corner with the blue yep not my logo but there's you know you see it
uh, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Please go give them a follow across the board as far as platforms go. Um, give this video a like and subscribe. Feel free to share it as well if you feel, feel so inclined. Feel free to share it. Yeah, there's a little bell on YouTube. I know for all us fuddy-duddies, you got to click that bell and then change it to all notifications. So every time the Herbiculture Network does something miraculous, you'll be notified. Sir Cannon. I was going to get one of those USB ports so I have more USBs so I could have my mouse right here and be able to do all this stuff without having to move two feet. Yeah. You know, because I'm lazy. But the dude at Walmart was... I couldn't tell if he was, like, on the clock, if he was off the clock. There was no one else around. He kept, like, walking around with his keys in his hand, like car keys. And so I just kind of gave up and moved on. Well, I'm down. There he is. There's our resident Georgian. Right here. You guys, uh, you guys hear me okay? Yeah. You sound great. The cool. uh, I was going to say, Justin, I, I want to buying. I don't need it on this particular MacBook because it's got a million ports. But for my, my MacBook Pro, uh, I got the, a dongle that has like six normal USBs on it. So, I just wonder if it can run the camera, the mixer like is it is is this stuff too much for one well thing? i was gonna I say don't, i don't know how they work so. they're like it was like eight bucks on amazon and prime free delivery so like you buy that and you try it if it doesn't work you buy another one put it on the other side of the laptop you know because the one that walmart had was that on brand that they i guess is theirs and it was like a powered port like it had like <laughs> Oh, nice. <laughs> Serious. And it didn't have a price tag on it. The price tag was missing. And so I was masked that dude what the price was and ended up just going to get another stuff instead. So cool. Good stuff. Good stuff. What are we smoking upon this eve? This evening, I broke out Old Faithful, the Liga Privada number nine. Numero nueve. Numero nueve. Hecho a mano para el jefe. <sighs> So I, I guess the rep for Gurkha came by recently and there was a sample left on the counter at work that I took and it is a Gurkha Revenant. It says it's aged 13 years. Uh, it's a rare release resurrected blend. Was that in a glass and, tube? No, it wasn't. Okay. It's a box, like a box press. Okay. I saw it. The label looks cool. I'm not a big Gurkha guy, but I saved it just to try it here and see if it's worth anything. Uh, and then backup is a La Roma de Cuba Edition Especial, which are very good. I do like those. Excellent. And your feet are looking fetching tonight, if you don't mind me saying. Yeah. And Casey, what are we imbibing this evening? Oh, uh, got uh, some more uh, kombucha. Kombucha. Nice. Yeah, I've been on kind of like a weird uh, health drink uh kick lately so that one looks good haven't tried it yet it doesn't taste amazing but it's uh it's passable does it defeat the purpose if you water it down or mix it with like a mixer i don't know i've got a friend who's super granola that's really into this stuff and he actually makes his own so he's been trying to get me more into it it's a very acquired taste as far as a drink goes uh i've been i really like the stuff with pineapple and uh, peach in it. This is 
apple cider vinegar, but ah. yeah, it's uh, not the best, but it's passable. The first time I ever had real apple cider vinegar was uh, before Underground had their farm. They used to have a warehouse, and uh, it was like the front of the warehouse was offices, and then the back of the warehouse is where they kept all the animals. And there was a bottle of some it looked like an old sake bottle but the label had been peeled off it was dingy looking and the owner of underground ryan he's like you want to you try something that'll really just clear you out and i was like i was <laughs> like i was like all right i was like clear out the top or clear out the bottom he's like does it matter <laughs> you know like a little just bit like but, straight uh... straight face just like does it matter and uh and I was like, all right. And everyone else had these little, pla he bought those little plastic, like, uh, you know, little shot glasses you get at the dentist. Mm -hmm. And uh, he had a little, little solo Dixie cups, whatever they are. And uh, he had a bunch of them. E everyone had one. Like everyone was dr drinking it. And I guess they meant it to be like the jokes on Phil, you know? And he pours the apple cider vinegar. I had no idea what it was. And I was, he's like, don't smell it. Just drink it like a shot. And this is a man who does not imbibe alcohol. And uh, <laughs> I was like, all right, coming from him. It, it's not going to be lethal, you know, whatever I'm drinking. I'm sure I've drank worse. And I just took the shot. And at first I was like, wow, that's really good. And refresh. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, there it is. And uh, I mean, I, I drink a lot. I mean, I drink gasoline if I could, but I, that's, it's a dangerous beverage. Yeah. Is, I mean, yeah. And like, for the record, this is, this is non-alcoholic. It's just a weird thing that it's apparently just, the hippies yeah. are. The hippies are into these days, so. Yeah, well, I mean, when the when the hippies bathe, they look fantastic. So. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> uh. But yeah, no apple cider vinegar for the people listening. We may go into more uh, reptile tips in a little bit, but uh, if you want to get the fruit flies out of your yeah, room, apple cider vinegar is one of the best things to attract fruit flies. Do that with a like a drop of dawn in it to break the surface tension, and then once they hit it, they because the dawn is in there they sink they don't sink right to the bottom yep yeah and don't drink dawn we're not talking about us we're talking about fruit flies they work like a million bucks just get a little cup or a jar take a plastic bag cut a corner out put that corner in the in the jar like a funnel put a rubber band or something around the bag put fill it you know after you put in your your apple cider vinegar and your dawn and just watch them start dropping like flies <laughs> pun intended uh, But yeah, if we're doing reptile tip stuff, uh, yeah, I think people should learn with this kind of thing. There is a difference between a forehead fly and a fruit fly when it comes to things that are infesting your reptile room. Enlighten I believe. Us. What was that? I said enlighten us. Yes. I thought they were the same thing. Yeah, a forward fly is more attracted to uh, dead and rotting things. I actually had a major problem with them uh, maybe a summer or two ago with my blue tongue skink stuff because... I was feeding them wet dog food and every once in a while you'd miss like a little chunk, you know, they'd grab the wet dog food and kind of shake it around a little bit. And that would attract forward flies because they are a species that naturally flocks towards dead and decaying material. So I had like a major outbreak and you have to learn the difference because the things that attract forward flies, which like things that are dead and rotting, you know, it's not going the same tricks to attract fruit flies aren't going to work for forward flies. So they're not necessarily attracted to uh, apple cider vinegar. Yeah, that makes sense. 
Yeah, they act I, a little bit I different. I was under the impression they were the same thing because Dr. Lofman talks about it with crypto and how forward flies are like most of the time the, the prime suspect when it comes to spreading crypto. But I always assumed they were kind of the same thing, but that makes sense now, actually. Yeah, forward flies are... Forward flies are the more like main reptile room investor. I think they actually come out of drains. Like I think they uh, reside in people's sewage systems, and they can come out through the drain. Yeah, they have they have the name sewer fly. So if you yeah. live in the in the northeast or in, like in urban environments or in the megalopolis, most people call them sewer flies. Yeah, they have black eyes instead of red eyes. Um, they're actually more likely to uh, run on the ground versus fly, which is kind of, are kind of a weird thing about them. And, uh, yeah, way more likely to be infesting your reptile room than a fruit oh, play. This cold brew I made is horrible. I'm, I'm dumping it and getting my bang. Stand by. Enjoy yourself. Speaking I actually... Of, uh, speaking of sewer water, this is what, exactly yeah, right? what it tastes like. I, uh, I started to get them real bad when I was growing the wheatgrass. And uh, what happens is the wheatgrass root... I have to feather the amount of moisture it contains. I was actually using uh, EcoEarth as a substrate. And what happens is when the EcoEarth is too waterlogged, because the roots of the, the root system of the wheatgrass is putting out, I guess it's phosphates, it attracts mass quantities of forage flies. Mm-hmm. And as the wheatgrass dies, it like wilts over. It would just be more and more flies, and it was it was pretty yucky for a little bit, but uh, I got it under control. Um, and it's not it's not anywhere near animals, so it's not yeah. that big a deal. But what'd you do to get rid of them? Because you know I've got kind of I figured out kind of how to get rid of them just because I had to. Yeah, but uh, honestly, those fly uh, those fly ribbon strips. Yes, they work those, amazing. They work like a million Until bucks. Until you and, walk face first into one. Well, you you don't do that. Um, and I've, the liquid that they give you to put on the fly ribbon that literally smells like rotten feces, mm-hmm. um, they give you way too much. <laughs> so literally, I, I will put like four drops, like one, two, three, four, and that's it. And it works like a million bucks. The only problem is if you're putting it in somewhere like, say, your bathroom or in your snake room, it's going to smell like rotten poop. So I usually tell people to uh, string one up, light a scented candle that's not going to be abrasive or harmful to your animals because the, fl- the flies will, honestly, they will flock to the flame as well. Um, it gets kind of gross because sometimes you get flies in the in the wax and then you got to like carve it them out. It smells like burnt hair. <clears throat> but but that's that works for me. That works like a million bucks. So I bet you you could take that same juice and do the same funnel trap that we talked about you just put a little bit on like the inside above where you would put the vinegar yeah or even water you just do water with dawn maybe could just be a little bit i don't know It'd be interesting to try it yeah. yeah i use the uh i use the sticky traps i also figured out that basically you have to completely stop an entire generation of them from being able to exist yeah so that was kind of difficult with blue tongues because you have to feed them a lot more than snakes. With snakes, what you do is you just don't feed them for three weeks. And, you know, they don't grow for those three weeks, but you get rid of your flies. Uh, skinks, you have to be really, really careful about what you do with the food so that, you know, they don't sling around a little bit. And then there's a pack of forward flies finding the food in the corner. So basically, you have to be able to stop an entire generation of them from existing to really stop them in your room. Which isn't always the easiest thing, depending on what you keep. I'm sure that if I was a 
like a Lichianus Gecko Keeper or something like that, it'd be very difficult. I'm, I'm just always amazed at where any kind of fly larva comes from. It, it's fascinating mm -hmm. to me because when you have as many animals as we do, something is going to go awry. You're going to have a rat that never got eaten. Uh, you may have a partially digested prey item. You may have regurgitation, whatever it may be. But if you don't catch it in time, there's there's maggots out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. And like I've had no it is, I do always wonder where they come. Like they yeah, literally where, you won't right. see them for months. Yep. And all of a sudden they're just there. Yeah, that's literally it. And it's I think disgusting. they come out of the drain. I literally think they just fly out of the drain. I mean, that's really the only place that I can think of. Yeah, there's no there's no drain in my room. You know what I'm saying? But it's I mean, it's sealed off to the outside world. I agree with that. I, I think you're completely right. But um, at the same time, I mean, you live in Florida, so they can come in just through the front door. And even if one pregnant female comes in, she can lay however many eggs. I'm sure it's dozens of eggs. And then that starts an infestation. Right. But my whole thing is, let's say, all right, just speaking, <clears throat> excuse me. I give a frozen thawed prey item to a viper, right? Yeah. The viper bites it and venomates it and doesn't eat it unbeknownst to me. Now it has rapidly started to digest because of the, the venom itself, right? And it's already dead. If I don't catch it within a day or two, I've got maggots crawling on it. Where did the maggots come from? I didn't. I never saw a fly. There was never a fly there. It makes me wonder if it's almost uh, 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 the eggs are... I mean, I don't want to say they're laid on the prey item. I mean, is that even a thing? Like before it got to me, is that possible? Like that, the eggs are laid, then they, it's like a plant yeah, almost. Like that, there's seeds, for lack of a better word, and then the right yeah. conditions happen and they show up. I mean, that's I don't I know. Mean, that's kind of how I feel about it. Yeah, I feel like like the the rat before it was killed and frozen for me to purchase. Maybe it was already there. I mean, who knows? I mean, I I'm, I hope that someone's listening to this that can give us a better answer. I mean, and to be brutally honest, I haven't really cared that much because I could probably just Google it and find out. But where's the fun in that, right? It's impossible to know. Some yeah. mysteries will never be solved. So Henry says they're in the substrate. I don't buy that either because I use Aspen. Yeah, better yet, I it's use dry. You know, the the store bought you know, substrate that says baked to kill bugs, blah, 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 you know? So I don't know. Or better yet, eco-earth. If I have a brick of eco-earth that's compressed cocoa husk, it's been sealed in cellophane for God knows how many months, if not years. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, and then it's the same thing. Is that some kind of zygote that under the correct conditions, like Casey said, it miraculously turns into life? I don't know. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe, maybe Doc, Doc knows. Yeah, crawdaddy. Yeah, crawdads and Ford flies—they're basically the same animal. So, yeah. Well, exactly. I mean, I would think that if you're studying crypto, then you have to study the vectors and how, like, timelines and things of metamorphosis and windows of opportunity and. Sure. Sure. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, bugs are weird Ooh, creatures, so who knows? It really could be a thing where they're just the eggs are just sitting there waiting for months until the right chemical or whatever causes them to hatch. Who knows? But they show up, like Bill's completely right. They show up very quickly in very strange places. Yeah. And, and at the same time, it could just be all in our minds. I mean, those flies are so small 
And typically, you don't even see them until they've already feasted on something and they bulked up from their food intake. So it would not shock me if the fly, for lack of a better word, is macroscopic. And it just eluded us when it flew in, when I walked in the room, you know, or mm-hmm. came in through the air vent. You know what I mean? Like, I have screened off air vents. But who's to say that one couldn't be small enough to fly through the screen? Mm-hmm. You know? Granted, it's have, intended my- for mosquitoes, but still. Now that I have Doobie roaches again, I've already noticed fruit flies... Like if I put melon or cantaloupe or anything or like truly organic and not just the roach chow, those flies show up in no time. So I have to, I have to pull it before it starts to get uh, overrun. Yeah. Which usually means I just leave it overnight. Henry says the larva of fungus gnats cannot survive in dry soil. However, they will remain dormant and begin their development once the soil is moist. Very interesting. Okay. I mean, that goes along kind of with what we're seeing. Yeah, only instead of it being a moist soil, it's a decomposing prey item, you know? Very interesting. Some mysteries will never be solved. Like how many licks it takes to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop, you know? The world may never know. Exactly. So what's new? What's happened over the uh, the last week? I uh, I finally got my the last of my labels from Cloud Forest, as oh, well good. as all the labels for the new uh, exhibit room at Underground's retail store. Um, I actually have a little mini video of the store, just so people can get an idea of what's going to be on display for now. And the goal is, uh, <clears throat> I mentioned it before, the I have the anti venom labels. Uh, so that God forbid something happens, the label is velcroed to the enclosure. You can rip it off and stick it to your beard or put it in your pocket or whatever. And uh, now my photos are not updating. Bear with me. Uh, Bill said forward fly larvae live in the organic film that you'd find around things like drains. He said Google says a hot water and or bleach won't do the job. So battery acid or nothing. Nice. nice. They ain't surviving that. <clears throat> So this is not letting me play the video, so I'm going to send it to Facebook. Bear with me, folks. He said you have to remove organic material even down to that layer of film, so even removing visible food stuff may not be enough. It's impossible. That's what I'm getting out of this. It's borderline impossible in a reptile room. It's the Skynet of flies, the T5. They just send them back from the past. How they send them to the past from the future when they know there's going to be something for them to hunt. They're actually Snake little suggests. robots that Biden uses to spy on everybody. They're made of titanium. They're made of adamantium. Yeah, the bird <laughs> flies aren't even real. They're they're like birds. It's a glitch in the right. matrix. It's just glitch. one fly. Yep. yep. Government drones sent to uh, sent to kill our snake collections. They're all listening devices. <laughs> Move to Australia. We don't have them, the Ipers say. Sure. Oh, just just wait. They'll enough. show up. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually surprising because I feel like on most I think it's island... time to bottle some up and mail them to Scott. <clears throat> right. I think most island nations have some of the most intense fly populations. And I know Australia has a shitload of flies, especially out in the arid regions. Yes, they do. So I'm really surprised <laughs> that they don't have them. 
Well, when I was going to that Aki video, dude, he was covered. Mm -hmm. Dude, flies are horrible out in the outback. Like these little housefly looking things, like slightly smaller than houseflies. And their life's goal is to go up your nose, in your mouth, or maybe in your ears. It is your brain. Absolutely horrible. And there are so many of them. They just smell human sweat or any moisture. But the weird thing is when you go swimming out there, they don't bother you. Like they're very attracted to moisture, but they don't care anything about the little watering holes and stuff like that. It's absolutely bizarre with those flies. Interesting. So when you did you wear like a mosquito net over your head or not? the whole time? Like, I I don't know how people before the advent of mosquito nets survived out there. It was awful. Like, I don't know if the Aborigines got used to it or they had their own, like, little tricks and tips to get rid of them, but it was horrible. But they didn't bite. They just, like, went in your nose and your ears and stuff like that and, you know, like, tried to get in your eyes. Anything with moisture. Lay, lay eggs in your brain and your eyeballs. Well, that would explain a lot. <laughs> so today I was watching videos. I want to, I'm contemplating figuring out a way to do black soldier fly larva, like a startup a group of those. There's, they're considerably more involved as far as setups and stuff than other feeders, but they, uh, they produce like crazy. Like you, it doesn't take a big group to get a ton of larva. It'd be interesting. Nice. On the subject especially, of flies. Especially if you have an animal that will also consume the larva, you know? Yeah, I've heard those are very nutritious, too. That's like oh, one yeah. of the best prey items you can do. Well, on a side note, I finally got that video up and running. So here's their new labels from Cloud Forest. Window Chrome. There we go. They look so convincingly like a wasp, too. It's pretty, pretty interesting. The soldier flies, too? Yeah. So again, this is not the most elaborate setups because it is a retail store and the majority of the stuff is for sale to a certain extent. Um, but I thought these labels came out as always with Cloud Forest. They came out fantastic. You know? So Cloud Forest labels really you know, they they really step it up a notch. Yeah, Matt does a good job with them. I had yeah, them on so all my dart frog cages. I love how they have the little range maps on them too. Mm-hmm. And for those wondering uh, what about, like, how to get the Venom labels, excuse me, The um, if you click a Venomous species on Cloud Forest's website, there's a, there might be a drop-down menu. So I've given him probably around 10 species or so, and I gave him the antivenoms to put on there. So instead of having the ICU and red list uh, status... Yeah. It'll have the antivenins for that would be accessible in North America typically. Um, some of them I did not do. Some other people did a lot of other ones. Um, but there's that little drop down menu. So it'll say, you know, do you want antivenin or regular? Uh, the regular ones usually have a red background. The antivenin ones have a black background. So it's not like a limited edition Halloween theme or anything. The antivenin ones are black and gray and they have uh, at least two, sometimes only one antivenin on the bottom. And, uh, I tried to put what would be, at least for those species that I got to do or got to help Matt with, um, I tried to do ones that I knew would be more readily accessible. So uh, Innocerp Mena, Innocerp Pan-Africa, Samar, Crofab, um, Institut del Balacon, 
Um, and then for like exact for uh, Atheris Squamangera, <clears throat> excuse me, I just put no anti prayers. Yeah, well, I put no anti venom <laughs> thoughts and prayers. Right. Thoughts and prayers. <laughs> no, I put uh, it says it says in, in quotes it says no anti venom. Try Inusurp Mena because that has the most amount of variety with uh, Echis. So hopefully that'll help in some degree. So. Zima. Smirnoff Ice. <laughs> Mike's Hard Lemonade. <laughs> yeah, if you, or Loco. if you pour Zima on the wound and then shotgun a Mike's Hard real quick. It neutralizes it. It neutralizes all the peptides and everything. It's actually the cure for all diseases. The government does not want you to know that because right. it'll crush big pharma. But that's actually how you cure everything. <laughs> well, that's what hydroxychloroquine is. It's just Zima and Mike's Hard Lemonade mixed together. You can cure a stab wound with that stuff. Like, it's really magical. Well, Ty, it looks like, is very upset that uh, the scientific names are not italicized. And there's a capitalization, I guess, of the species... Well, considering that I did not create them, uh, there's nothing I can do about that. I can make a mention to Matt. Unfortunately, my cages and as well as undergrounds will forever not be. Uh, no, it's Scott. Uh, yes, it will forever. My enclosures and undergrounds will forever not have the correct uh, <laughs> taxonomical nomenclature. Tom said, please don't take any alcohol advice from Casey, the margarita cannon. <laughs> oh, speaking of scientific you. names, though, I am supposed to be on Reptile Fight Club this week. Oh, really? Yeah, Who's your uh, who are you fighting that? against? I don't know. I think it's just Justin and Chuck. And what's what's the fight? Uh, the use of scientific names in the hobby. Really. Well, now that Scott chimed in on my labels being not having the correct nomenclature, um, I'm disgusted with myself, and uh, I uh, I don't know what to do now because now it's going to drive me crazy that they're not italicized, and the species name is capital, so that's going to drive I'm me nuts. I have to ask that you punch yourself in the genitalia for penance. I was thinking about just, I was thinking about the uh, the Mo uh, Monty Python the search for the Holy Grail with the monks where they smack themselves in the face of the book. <laughs> It's not even a Bible. It's just a piece of wood. <laughs> yeah, who's here? Hey, what's up, Warren? He said amateur labels, ellipses, scientific blasphemy. Jesus. Now, I, how many PhDs are going to pop in on this? Yeah, this is, I know. That. It's, it's like pistol whipping a blind kid. Look, I'll have you know that every single time I write anything, I do my damnedest to use italics, uh, italics properly, making sure that the species name is lowercase and and using you know nov period when appropriate uh but i didn't make the label so don't hate me yeah the ghost of carolus linnaeus is going to come up and just <laughs> smack you right upside the head a minute yeah. waits for you on the other side i literally i i just got envisioned of like me like rolling over and just carl sitting there with his white curled wig just going Bitch. you were better than that <laughs> you were better than that I did not die for your sins for this to happen. Did I, did I tell you guys about me uh, getting uh, uh, his original memoirs in Latin on accident? Yeah, really? Uh, yeah. Well, I, I, yeah, I bought them, and uh, it was like twenty bucks. 
And I was like, this is fantastic. It's it's a printed version. I'll get this, you know. And it was it was I'm pretty sure it was a company in England. And I get it. And it's the whole thing in Latin. They just photocopied the pages. <laughs> like you could tell it was photocopied because they're all like off keel, you know. It's and like I was a like, video camera pirated movie version of yes, yes. book. <laughs> that's that's exactly why it was twenty bucks, <laughs> twenty dollars in the UK and forty dollars to ship it. <laughs> for a book that I'll never physically be able to read nor translate because <laughs> when you put it into Google Translate, it makes it sound like half-ass Italian. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> oh, that Lord. does raise an interesting question, though, that I'm sure Scott would have an answer to. When they're doing it in that version of Latin, is it the traditional Latin or is it the Catholic Church Latin? Because that's two different Latins. No, it's tra it's traditional Latin. Okay, so yeah. even though it was in... Uh, what was it, England in the the 1700s, 1600s? I don't this was, this, quite know. I'm pretty sure it was 17... No, no, it would be earlier than that. It would be 1650, 1640? I don't know. Let me look. Yeah, look that up, because it, it was before evolution. Like, taxonomy was before evolution, which is really interesting. The other thing, too, is I'm surprised that it wasn't... I mean, obviously, the whole point of Carl Linnaeus' work was to uniform, uni, uniformize? No. It was to make uniform all of the the concept of taxonomy, um, but I'm surprised that there's not more pieces in Swedish. You know what I mean, or what would have been Swedish for the time? Yeah. Um, well, he wanted it in Latin because it was. I mean, let's be real here; it's in Europe, so they wanted all the all the European countries to be able to agree right. on what an animal is called, and then it, you know, spread to the rest of the world. Yeah, it's not letting me open anything because Google now hates me because I won't conform to their their bullshit. Join it's impossible to know. It's this is all conjecture. It's yeah. <laughs> there's no way to ever tell it. It's the meta. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm excited about that episode though. I don't I mean I kinda hope I don't have to defend against using scientific names in the hobby because I I, it's a habit that I do it a lot. And I do think it is kind of necessary to a degree. Right. Um, I don't know. I mean, we all use, I mean, the three of us, I think definitely use scientific names a lot when we're talking to one another. Sure. And I feel like when we do, when we don't use scientific names, it's more of a slang, mm -hmm. you know, like, yeah. if, like, how do I phrase this? Like we'll say brettles, like it just it's the brettles, you know. Yeah. We don't say Bradley, or um, but then again, if we're talking about you know Pantherophis, it's a corn, like or those corns or those tesseras or whatever. So I don't know. I don't know. Our episode with Connor just got me thinking about it, and uh, I guess I had mentioned it to Julander when we were in Texas too, and I completely forgot about that. But we were talking about night snakes with Connor, and um. I mentioned Hypsiglena and you know, there was some confusion there and that's just, that's what made me think more about it. You know, it's like, is there such a thing as, as using it too much? Uh, I don't I think don't so. Know. I don't think so. I, I think you should use a common name and a scientific name at the same time. If you're not familiar with it, because I mean, let's be real here. If you say two Latin words, one after the other, you could be talking about a type of grass. You could be talking about a type of snail. You know, it's yeah, but it's relative to the conversation, though. That's what I'm you saying. Know, that you should use a common name the first time. Like you should tell me, okay, we're talking about a corn snake, and then you say Pantheropus 
I don't actually know what a corn snakes is off the top of my head. I'm not going to lie, but <laughs> no, I but like I see... the Australian pythons, but, uh, you know, yeah, and like, like, like colubrids, like Warren says, it, it depends on the audience. It, I think it, it, not necessarily the audience per se, but relative to the conversation at hand. So if I'm talking to Justin and I'm like, oh, yeah, man, the gab just took a big old crap, he knows yeah. I'm talking about a gaboon. I don't have to say the rhinoceros or rhinocaros. Gabonaga. I could just say the gab. You know what I mean? But now yeah, does that make me does that make me wrong or, or or poor in that regard because I didn't say rhinoceros or rhinoceros? Well, know. I mean that's the question of language of as long as you understand what the other is talking about, then right. it's perfectly fine. I mean, if you're doing a magazine uh, article or something like that, I've really tried to make an effort with some of this stuff to say, okay, uh, the cyclora iguana, you know, cyclora pinguis or whatever. And then I said sure. the Anatolia Island uh, rock iguana or whatever it was. You know, you have to be very, especially when you're talking about animals where your audience may not quite know exactly what you're talking about. I feel like it's right. good to have a common name and a scientific name. So you have one, a general idea of what we're talking about. And then if you want to look it up, a very specific idea of what you're talking about. And that's, I mean, for me, that's kind of part of it is sort of wanting to push people a little more to be like i've never you know what is this and look it up and then get in the habit of yeah you know using it i don't sure. i mean personally i think that should i mean so if you've ever been in inverts you know scorpions or tarantulas common names are almost non-existent at least with the serious part of the hobby right you know and that's where i picked it up mostly and it just stuck um but it's just so much easier for me to do that because, I mean, some of the stuff, I don't even know what the common names are of, of some things. Some of them don't yeah. have common names. Yeah. Some of them straight up don't have them. <clears throat> like if I say black-tailed rat snake, that doesn't exactly narrow it down. And no. I, I don't even think of Jance and I the first time I hear that. But that's what Jance and I are, at least by common name, is, is black-tailed rat snakes. And it sounds fairly generic because there's a lot of rat snakes that have black tails. And a lot of snakes that have black tails. So, yeah, well put, well put. No. Yeah, it is definitely it is it is relative to the conversation, it is relative to the audience. Um, I also think that, uh, especially in a, in the United States, people are apprehensive as to pronunciation, and I will as much as I want to be a stickler. And I mean, shit, I was on the phone with Scott. Couple of weeks ago, and him and I were going back and forth on Squamangera, Squamangera, and it, we, he broke out the 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 Latin dictionary, which I now own, and it's phenomenal. Thank you, Scott. Um, Ooh, I need to get that. Uh, and we went back and forth, and we broke it down and we deciphered it. But at the same time, if I say Squam to somebody, or I say Squamangera, if they want to, if Scott wants to correct me, a hundred percent, I will. I will take it because Scott has been breathing this shit for way longer than i have and i respect him very much so as a friend and as a scientific individual but i'm not gonna break someone's stones if they say you know rhinoceros instead of rhinoceros or rhinoceros you know you see what i'm saying yeah of course and i think that a lot of americans or a lot of you know people in the u.s they get apprehensive to say it wrong you, does that make sense mm -hmm. yeah i mean i, I get it you know, I can just the other day there was someone in the cigar shop and what they were pronouncing some brand is 
It was the CAOs. He pronounced them as cows. Yeah. It's just, it just kind of made me giggle. Like, it's like, I, I thought about it. I was like, it doesn't matter. Like, I know what he's talking about. Right, right. It's just kind of funny to hear it pronounced that way. But, but at the same time, though, I know countless people that would call it a cow. Really? Even though, even though they know what it is, and they've been smoking it for 20 years, or however long the company's been around, they still call it a cow just as slang, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's slang so, or a term of endearment, you sure, know? Sure, You know? So it's like the, the word swag in the military. It's scientific, wacky ass guess. You know what I mean? You, you make acronyms because and you just slap it out, you know, whatever. Oh, good. Johnny got his cigars that he won in the raffle last week. Excellent. Congrats, Johnny. I think Dan got his today, too. So awesome. I know Bill got his. So everything's. Everything's out there. The only thing I think that we're still waiting on is Elijah's shirt, which has been ordered. Cool. And dude, Doc Booth busting out the heavy guns with Condro and Morelia. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I mean, Condro is a term of endearment at this point. Yeah, it's and if, straight up slang. Honestly, if they'd made him go back to being Condro Python, I wouldn't really fight it. It's it's whatever. I mean, I think Morelia is accurate. There's some people that are saying they should go back to being Chondro Python. It's like, I mean, if there's not enough, there's not enough evidence to like that that says they should be, then whatever. Well, how about I just saw one. You know, I follow a lot of the uh, South African and Sub-Saharan African snake ID groups because there's a wealth of knowledge in there, and and the photographs are always phenomenal. And don't get me wrong, the majority of the photographs are dead specimens, but. Even the dead snakes, you get an idea of, of what the climate was like going on. You, you see like where they were, if it's urban or rural or you know straight up nature, whatever it was. Um, and uh, a guy that I look up to a lot is Johan Marai in South Africa. He's the founder of the African Snake Bite Institute. And he put on there, somebody used the word puffy to, to, as a puff adder, right? Mm-hmm. As slang. Yeah. And we, I've always called them puffs. And people have said the word puffy to me, like, hey, man, did you feed the puffy over there? And he put on there, it was like, please don't use that. That is derogatory slang for the animal and disrespectful or something like that. And I was I was a little taken back because I feel like it's a bit much. It's a bit much. But at the same time, I don't know the context in which it's being used by him. You know what I mean? And maybe it is a, a derogatory term to the animal. Maybe it is insulting to the to the species. I don't know, but we always just shortened puff adder to a puff. Gone you know use. I mean? Yeah, Gone use. Right. Yeah. Like we do it all the time. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, the snakes can't hear. So I don't think they really uh <laughs> they don't really care if you're being politically correct or not. Well, don't say that because I actually had a really good conversation with Scott the other day about how snakes can hear. It's just different wavelengths that mm-hmm. we normally don't grasp okay that's that's fair so, i was yeah yeah so they do hear my horrible singing maybe we'll never know scott said they will not go back to chondro python unless you decide to place m carnata into a monotypic genus it's not viable oh touche which is fine because i mean at what point are they as far as taxonomy goes, there's, own genus. There's, Just... there's going to be a point where you're splitting hairs, I would think. 
Yeah, don't even bring up King like Cobras. Chondro Python, Morelia, like Gather related. Do they have to be their own thing? No. People want it to be, I guess, for some reason, because Chondro people just desperately want their snakes to be something different and unique. And right. I don't I don't know. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. What is interesting though is that birders don't use scientific names. They use common names. For everything I've heard, they only use common names. Yeah, that's actually that's a really strange. good point. And Justin, you're going to have to bring that up with Dr. Drewlander too because he has become a legit birder. And I feel like he's almost focusing more on bird watching than he is on herping. And obviously those are my words, not his. But I don't – He he's – when we were with him in West Texas, he definitely used some scientific names. But I do feel like the more majority of the birds he was talking about, it was uh, – you know, he would say, oh, that's a double crested, you know, Casey bird, scientific name, blah, 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 blah. The Cannon Swift. Yeah. And, and I feel like he's obviously an educated man. He's obviously dealt a lot with taxonomy. Um, and I feel that in that regard, it was what we just talked about, where I don't know anything about birds. So he's going to give me the common name simply so I can grasp what's going on and then because he knows I also like taxonomy, he'll give me the scientific name as well if I want to retain it or I want to write it, write it down or whatever. So that, that is an interesting point, Casey. Yeah, but then, I mean, you have birds where they have so many common names. Like, yeah, how do you, who, who decides which common name should be used? Should yeah, you be saying language. North American Mockingbird or you should be saying Catbird? Yeah. Because old yeah. people around me call the Mockingbirds Catbirds, which is, which is right. Who decides that? Yeah. It's like Corn Snake and Chicken Snake. Yeah. Red rat snake. Yeah, or, or red rat snake, exactly. Or down by me, now everyone is on a, a, a Keys corn kick, and they're, they, it's the rosy rat. It's just a rosy rat. It's a corn snake. I mean, I do think rosy rat is the best of the common names that I've heard so far, but corn snake is the one that's got the most, you know, tradition staying power. Yeah, I mean, like Brettles pythons. Centralian carpet python is a much better name than a Brettles oh, python. Absolutely, an infinitely better name. Infinitely, but I feel like the only people calling them Brettles are are herpers and herpetoculture people. Yeah, I feel like if you were at the zoo as a guest and you know nothing about snakes other than you think they're kind of cool or maybe you think they're scary, whatever, and you're at the zoo and there happens to be an Australia display with a Centralian python, they're not gonna. It's not going to say Brettles on there. You know what I mean? It's going to yeah. say a Centrillion Python. And you do have that in some of the, the Barker's books, too, where, uh, like the Boland's Python. They don't want to call it a Boland's Python because a Boland's Python doesn't describe what it is at all. When it comes to the common name, they call it a Black Python because it's a Black Python. You know, they don't want to call a Matlock's Python a Matlock's Python. They call it a... Um, I don't remember off the top of my head, but they call it what islands it's from, like the archipelagos. They find That's them. What I'm gonna start doing so people will leave me alone about how I pronounce the M word. <laughs> That's fine. You're allowed. You're allowed. So you're not yeah. allowed to have an accent and pronounce these things apparently. And, and Scott brings up a good one too, shinglebacks. You know, and then Scott says yeah. there is an official common name list. I'm sure. I'm sure there is. I'm sure there is. But if you think about tarantulas, like it's almost necessary, especially when you have 
you get those ones that they kind of know what genus it is, but they don't know what species. You know, you saw you see it a lot in the Cereopagopus and Chilobrachies and stuff like that, where it's like Chilobrachy species, and then in quotations, it's like some area or some Asian word, Haiti, Haiti, or something like that. You know, and that doesn't tell you anything, but yeah. There is no, like, if there is no common name or there's, like, 20 common names, like, rosehair tarantulas probably have God knows how many common names at this point. Um, you know, Gramostola. Yeah. Like, that's all you need to know. Sure. Well, and that, that's funny you bring up the inverts because, like, when I was keeping scorpions, uh, a friend of mine, uh, we had, we were trying to get some of the South American stuff, and there was a, a genus that was endemic to Cuba called... Um, Centroroides? No, it was Rapalurus. Oh. And the, the 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 quintessential red devil Cuban scorpion was Rapalurus juncius. And no one in the United States had it. And a, no one had gotten them out of the island. Somebody had smuggled them out of Cuba to, I think, the Netherlands, where they were sold to a Swedish guy. The Swedish guy bred them and kept them for about three generations mm -hmm. and then did a, sh a legitimate shipment from Sweden to the United States and sold, I think it was like seven or eight, fourth or fifth in stars. And that was it for the entire country. Well, me and my buddy, we got four of those, of those seven. And uh, they didn't last very long. Um, we tried to keep them best we could and they went, all of them wound up dying about within the first year we had them. So it was mm -hmm. kind of a failed project, but those animals are now more prevalent in the United States invert scene, but they're not called Rafalurus anymore. It's some, it's a genus with an H. And I was trying to look up and apparently there are more, or has been discovered that there are more species in that Cuban mm -hmm. genera um, to the point where now it's kind of going like some of the ornamental stuff where it's, you know, uh, uh, I don't know, give me, give me an ornamental genera uh pacillotheria oh, okay so both so so it's pacillotheria ssp yeah you know it's the same with the centipedes it's scolopendra yep. ssp yep so see that in a lot of asian tarantulas yeah and all, i don't, and I don't so see it many so centipedes. much with i don't see it so much with scorpions but mm -mm. centipedes and and tarantulas definitely yeah yeah oh and the Gendra says that their favorite Centrillion Python display was at the St. Augustine Alligator Farm. So there you go. So <laughs> that was, they had Erie and Jaya carpet pythons or some kind of hybrid of, with clearly a lot of IJ in them. Right. Uh, displayed as Brettles pythons. And really? I was there with them and I was very insulted by it. I've been there a couple <laughs> times and it's been there like that a couple uh, it's been like that both times I've been there. So it's not like, oh, they're just off display and we're just going to put whatever we've got. They don't have any Brettles pythons at the St. Augustine Alligator Farm. And I was walking there with Jindra and Cody and Pia and uh, one of the head curators there who was walking with us. And I straight up told her, like, I'll give you guys a Brettles python if you want it. Please stop calling this Erie and Jaya carpet python a Centralian this python. Abomination. Yeah. yeah. Do you know who I am? And uh, Dr. Booth has corrected me. Forgive me for my uh, horrible, again, scientific ruling. It is SPP, not SSP. Keep it up, Wolf. Yeah, I'm bad a thousand tonight, I know. 
And you, Casey, how are you going to complain about that? But then you're going to buy inland crosses. Not the same. Not, it's a, not the same. A little bit I, the same. I'm not it's calling not them. The same. I'm right. not calling them pure anything. Exactly. I called them liars and bricotta as a joke, and people did not like that joke. Yeah, he's he's not putting them in a zoo on display. Yeah, and calling them I'm not, jungles. Uh, right. He does. He is. He didn't go to Bronx Zoo, stick the hybrid in a cage, and put coastal carpet. That didn't happen. You know what I mean? It's like down the the Miami Museum by me. They had a bunch of Florida native and like some Caribbean stuff, and it had uh, one of the um, I can't remember if it was a Puerto Rican boa or a Cuban boa. But it was a Brazilian rainbow, just straight up, just chilling there. And the label had the wrong picture and everything. It was great. <laughs> Clearly not the animal on the label. <laughs> so leave it'll Casey work. With this hybrid. That shit will buff out. Yeah, yeah, right. And I don't have a problem with hybrids. I mean, clearly I've got, I've actually got uh, two different types of hybrids in my room right now. It's good. Well, but don't, uh, if you're gonna display a Centralian Python, display a Centralian Python. Right. It's not like it's a species that's that rare that you couldn't acquire one. Yeah. Or maybe you had one and it passed away and you're waiting to get AZA approval to you know import your CITES one animal. No, it's a freaking brettles. You know, you yeah. know what I mean? Like I said, the so. curator of like one of the uh alligator farm curators was walking with us, and I straight up told her, like, I'll donate one to this place. Like, whatever. Yeah, have a Brettles Python in the Brettles Python cage. You know what you should do is you should go there again and like put like just swap uh, it out, just sneak it in there. Well, no, I was gonna say just bring in like a small deli cup with like a yearling male, and just be like, "Hey, by the way, Here. here's my donation. Can you please fix this shit?" <laughs> so. I'm sure there's all kind of red tape to stop that, but yeah. And uh, <laughs> Doc Booth says he's currently sequencing DNA uh, on pythons in the lab. And uh, he's just uh, ruffling my feathers. Thank you, Doc. Twisting um, your nips. I wasn't going to say that on air. <laughs> <laughs> um, but see, now I'm curious as to what pythons he's sequencing. Ooh. Uh, Erie and Jaya crosses. Oh, really? No. Was... Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I got my all carpet pythons are the same. Like <laughs> honestly, like I'm species. pretty much team all carpet pythons are the same, except for. I think there should be a line with diamond pythons okay. and inlands and the brettles and the imbricata, but everything else I can, I think Scott's Scott's onto something saying they're pretty much all different races yeah. of one species. Scott, Scott also says, bring a label maker. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be so great. If you had like one of those old school label makers, you know, that you used to put on your lunchbox as a kid and mm -hmm. you just plaster over their sticker with, Centrally or Irian uh, Jaya carpet, just carpet python, Morelia variegata, just Harris and I with a with a little picture of hoser giving the thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> Bill said that happened to us at the Brookfield Zoo with a mislabeled Angolan and my kid. My kids wrecked a docent who was trying to give a tour. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. That's wait, awesome. wait, what do they have mislabeled as the Angolan python? Probably a ball. I mean. It's most likely. It'd been funnier though if they had a ball python label or uh, they had uh, the ball python label for an Angolan python. Or it was like a giant uh, rock. Yeah. And they were yeah. like, this is an Angolan. 
No, that would be hilarious, though, if they had it in Golan and called it a ball. That'd be fantastic. They did. Bill said it was a ball. No, 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 I'm saying is the label said Python Regis, and it was an Anquietes. <laughs> yeah, it's the rare Python mislabeled as the common Python. Yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. Speaking of Anquietes, how are your Angolans, Casey? Good. Um, I have one that's being a little bit of a pain in the butt and has not Good. eaten for me, but all yeah, the others have eaten me. so far. Mail it to me, and I'll get it going. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about oh, that. Yeah, the, uh, the yearling female I've gotten is actually... Uh, She's putting on some size right now, so I'm pretty happy about that. Is that the one awesome. you got in Daytona? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Good shit. How's the, I... how's the color going? Oh, she looks amazing. She's one of the better-looking Angolan pythons that I've seen. And, and she was more more tans and topes, right? Yeah, there's really dark ones. Like right. uh, a couple of the new ones that I've gotten in are uh, very dark. Uh, one of them actually has almost a stripey pattern, which I think is kind of cool. Nice. But uh, the original yeah, female I got is more of a like a brownish tan, and I think she's really pretty. Nice. Were you they're attractive snakes? They really are. They're they're, they're very unique. Yeah, the pattern on them bright doesn't colors. look much like anything else. But they're just like as is, just like brettles. Like they're just they're pretty snakes, just naturally. Yeah. Yep. And it's I fun to pull them out. They don't act anything like ball pythons. They don't yeah. ball up like ball pythons do. They're more uh, actually pretty aggressive, some of them. Um, no, they have a very typical python-esque attitude versus like my ball pythons. I have a few ball pythons around here, um, which you know, if you touch a ball python the wrong way, it's going to roll up in a ball, right. as their namesake says. And golems don't do that. Well, was it – I don't know if it was Terry Burwell or if it was Brett Bender saying how they're basically – macro Burmese pythons. They are very closely related to African in, rock pythons. Right, but I'm saying in, in their in their their temperament in captivity, they're macro sized berms, basically. In terms I've of, never really interacted with berms, mm. but I can I guess I can see that. They are more closely related to Burmese pythons than they are to ball pythons, despite mm. how their their facial structure looks. Yeah. Are they kind of like do they fit the same sort of spot as like uh, Timor pythons do, where they're sort of that in between of retics and scrubs kind of thing? Uh, I mean, genetically, they're really like Timor pythons are really kind of their own. They're very closely related to retics. They're kind of <coughs> on that same branch, and then they kind of go off in the same spot. <coughs> they're not really an in between spot. <coughs> Lesser Sundus Python. Timor, Less, Lesser Sundus Python, yes. Timor rolls off the tongue easier. Just they like don't Speaking of Lesser Sundas. They don't live on the island I of understand Timor. that, but that's what they're known as. Incorrect. Yes, that is a bad common... Speaking of bad common names, Timor Python. There you go. Should not be called Timor Pythons. They are not found on Timor. Yeah. Maclots Pythons are found on Timor. There you go. Maclots. Yeah. I feel like that, that whole... The Maclots and the Lesser Sundas is a classic example of Iceland Greenland. Yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> so those, those damn Maclots. Um, I'm actually getting some more uh, some more Timorensis in this week. Mm. They're they're going to Billy's because that's that's what's going on. But I'm getting nice. uh, I I know a guy who's getting out of reptiles right now, and he had a. Uh, a uh, pretty nice group of blue tongue skinks. So I'm getting a couple uh, 
new new uh, blue tongue projects that I've been looking into for a while. Nice. And uh, he's got a pair of Timor pythons. So send me the stropurus. I mean, I guess we can we can look into that. Wait, you got stropurus too? I I don't know. They are oh, cool geckos. They're but the, the individual... those are the spiny tail geckos, right? That's yeah, yeah. Okay, correct. yeah, those are very cool geckos. But there you go, a classic example of taxonomy when we probably shouldn't have. Yeah. The uh, well, let me ask you this. So, so Justin obviously knows the individual you're acquiring these from. I don't. I just saw the list. So. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Hmm. But I'm officially Brettlesless. I sent Bill Breaks my, my heart. I sent yes. Bill my female last week. Yeah, I uh, I am also brettlesless brettlesless now as well. Um, my, Break my heart, guys. Twenty, I'm, my I'm twenty, and it's not. I don't I don't know how this happened. My twenty eighteen female that Casey saw that is a dwarf, for lack of a better word, um, a, a whopping thirty eight inches long and you know four years old. Uh, out of the blue, found her upside down. Damn. So, yeah. Don't know what it was. Everything else is healthy as a horse, so knock on wood. These Aggies are a freaking blast, man. Yeah? I'm glad, I, cool. I'm glad I did that. Good. So am I. I think we all are. Like, I feed them in the mornings, and so after I give, I give them a few minutes to kind of warm up. And, and recharge their battery, so to speak. Because um, I let them get pretty cool at night. I turn off all the lights and stuff. And uh, let them warm up, and then I throw some crickets in there and just watch them hunt them down like little velociraptors. It's so freaking cool. They won't yeah, let man. me love them, though. They will. Give it time. I just I just want to play with them, and they're like, nah. They'll let me get fairly close, and then they're, they just... As soon as I touch their tail or something, they're like, nope, later. So I had Aki's for a little while Did and you? I had um, I had an adult male and like a younger, which we thought was a female. Um, the male was pretty chill. The female was kind of like you're describing where you could look at her and she'd be pretty confident. But if you ever tried to touch her, she would not be about it. You know, that's that's weird because it's the female of the two. That's definitely more skittish, like the male. I can pretty much touch him and then he runs. But the female, like she, she doesn't really let me get terribly close to her and she's the bigger of the two. Um, it's interesting, but that, I guess that wouldn't surprise me. And kind of from talking to Alan, actually, now that I think about it, I think he's mentioned something similar where females tend to be a little more flighty, I guess. I think whenever I get the space, I'm going to get a couple of, uh, you know, just display monitors. I've, I'm kind of fascinated by them. I don't want anything too big unless I can keep them outdoors. But uh, Kimberly rocks. Yeah, uh, dude. All that trees. All, all the Adatria stuff is just freaking sweet. Yeah, Kimberly rocks are just an incredible animal. Pilbarensis still does it for me. Yeah, nice I can respect that too. Yeah, that's probably honestly that's the only monitor that I could see myself keeping in the distant future. You know, I uh, I actually I used to keep uh, Molinas and I had a lot of fun with them and I used to keep a lot of Doomerals and they were my favorite, man. And as ugly as they are, dude, those lizards were so smart and so much fun to feed and work with and play with. Um, 
and just watching them hunt mm-hmm. crustaceans underwater like just it was awesome so much fun but i kind of have a, a thing for peach throats lately i've seen some peach throats that are just great looking i like the roughnecks roughnecks those are, cool are, those too, are weird looking i mean they, they get too big for me to want to bother with them but like the tristis are really cool Peacock monitors are really cool. I don't even know what their scientific name is. Uh, I can't remember. It's it's Pokora. No, hold on. That's going to yell at me. I did get to play with a Black Dragon uh, Melanistic Water Monitor today. Nice. Um, I've been helping uh, Summer Grace Mitchell. Uh, fix up uh, Justin Kabilka's Bolin's cages. So in their special projects room, you know, the room that's not ball pythons, uh, they have uh, a baby black dragon that's pretty cool. Like, you'll be able to open up the cage and it'll look around. Offenberger, I feel. Yeah, I just found that. I feel uber dumb. My apologies. Varenids are not my cup of tea. I didn't even know he had black dragons. He has uh, one baby. So, you know, they, they have a special projects room where mm-hmm. there's like one or two. Like they've got, uh, I think, uh, a trio of uh, Lichianus geckos. They've got the the Parabolans pythons. They have the black dragon. They have, I think, a Honduran milk snakes in there and uh, some Cape file snakes. Nice. And uh, what else? There is a Superdorf retic. I don't know if it's a pure island form or some kind of hybrid between a mainland and a super dwarf, but they've got one. But cool. yeah, they've got a little uh, get together coming up uh, for some of their people in like six days. So we're working really hard to try to uh, fix up uh, the Bolin's Python display so they can show those guys off. Nice. It's super cool though. You'll be out there working and the Bolin's all see you're doing something, they'll come up and they'll kind of uh, circle back and forth on the end of the enclosure they're in right now just to see what you're doing. Nice. Very cool. But so far what we've been doing is just putting on a... Um, I don't know how to describe it other than it's like a, a carpet with the texture of sandpaper on the back of the enclosure. It's just a background. So we've been working on... A, securing those the last couple days it's a little bit that part's kind of slow work because it's like okay you have to use um we're using a double-sided banner tape and we're using uh some like silicon foam and once you use the silicon foam you know you just you put it down you gotta let it dry overnight before you can really do anything with it so yeah, yeah. so it sounds awesome that's can't been fun see, can't wait to see when it's done yeah so uh, you got the pictures vic wants to know what kind of hondurans um i want to I don't really know much about Hondurans. Uh, they are very bright orange, so albinos or hypos. I don't really know which uh, okay. that would be. They're cool looking. They're traffic cone orange and have a nice little gray color to them. So nice. Cool, I don't man. know. And uh, Vic, just for the record, uh, Billy Hunt spoke to me about Hondurans, and you and I will link up later. Correspond. I'll slip in those DMs, Vic. Yeah, man. Hondurans are awesome. Oh, I agree. Honestly, I mean, any uh, orange snake to me is incredible. So, well, like, I just, I was talking with Anna Maria the other day because we were just 
diving more into the whole Lambert pelvis complex. And because uh, she's really getting into it. And, you know, I explained like, you know, all milk snakes are king snakes, but not all king snakes are milk snakes and like that old chestnut. And uh, and then I was talking to Billy about, you know, Vic and all his awesome endurance and everything. And I was thinking, man, the only milk snakes, like bona fide milks that I would be really considered would be obviously blacks because they're incredible. Yeah. Um, and Hondurans, and I've kept Hondurans before. I had tangerines, and they're just, they're fun, man. And I feel like, I don't know why, maybe this is just me, maybe this is me being weird, but I think I like the blacks and the Hondurans more than the rest simply because they're more king snake. Does that make sense? Yeah, I can kind of see that. You yeah. know what I mean? I feel like they have more of the king snake vibe. I mean, again, I could be talking out of my butt, but that's just kind of how I feel about it. Um, and then because I, I've been on a pyro kick lately, I started looking at like uh, uh, Utah banded milks. And like some of those things are just as impressive, if not more impressive than, than pyros. Yeah. Super cool, man. And I, I mean, think it also comes down not to cut you off, Casey. Sorry, but I also think it comes down to like. <laughs> it also comes down to like, I think this is my new learning adventure because I don't know anything about it. So it's like fresh and exciting, you know? Isn't it? Something oddly enjoyable about it. But I'm sorry, what were you saying, Kombucha Boy? <clears throat> oh, um, I don't actually remember. But <laughs> no, I was going to bring up, speaking of like North American Colubrid stuff, uh, that uh, Yucatan uh, Pituophis, whatever that was, that Chris posted the other day in yeah. uh, one of our group chats. That thing is incredible. Yeah. I'm really into the, the Pituophis stuff these days i want to upgrade mine i've got mine in racks right now uh i don't fully like that i really want to move them into uh enclosures but i'm afraid with how food aggressive they are that uh you know they're just gonna spend the whole time like whenever i walk in the room they're just gonna slam their face into the glass over and over and over again so i i I don't know man i feel like you're you're right in the way you feel but I think if there's enough decor in there and substrate, I, I don't think it's a problem. Yeah. I mean, these things, they're like, you know, I've got the Sonorans as far as the adults go, and then I've got the uh, the Mexican Pines. As, they're just babies right now. But, um, man, when you open up the tubs with the, uh, the Sonorans, it's scary because they know, like, they're very aware of their surroundings. So you'll open the door, and a third to two-thirds of their body are going to fly out of there <laughs> right for your face like a jack-in-the-box yes and it's not just like oh you know i'll, I'll open a little bit and they'll come yeah, out it's no. like this as soon as enough of this uh tub is opened up that they can come out they're coming out all or and they know exactly where your face is yep yep so like i want them to be a big like they're an active snake i feel like they should have some more room than what i've got them in right now yeah. uh but I just I don't want them smashing their face against glass all day. So I got to figure out how to, you know, a fine balance between that because they definitely need to be upgraded from where they're at just because of what they are, you know. I don't know. I feel like too is it depends on how much time you have in front of them. You know what I mean? Yeah, I could see that too. Like I feel I feel that if they were in a larger enclosure with a glass front or some kind of visual front and 
behind like across the aisle from them so to speak is a rack with like 100 babies and you have to stand there for two hours doing your 100 babies that might not be the most conducive you know what i mean yeah so i think i think it depends on the environment outside of the cage too if that makes any sense so what i've thought about doing and this is for you know more than just them i've thought about doing for a couple things um you know worked on the sign uh company we would do uh one-sided uh glass displays yeah so like if you're riding in your truck you can have your banner on the back of your truck but you can still look through the back and make sure there's nobody behind you when you're backing up sure so i thought about doing a uh a version of that on a snake cage just so but i don't know how well i don't know how their vision works as far as that kind of thing goes so well that's i was talking about i don't know if it were it was me you me and Justin and Billy on here one night, but when Marcus and I did the sun gazer enclosures at the museum, we had he Marcus had put in actual a piece of one way mirrored glass inside the enclosure. So you were technically looking through two pieces of glass, but when the lizards went in their burrow, all they saw was themselves and they didn't react. It's not like a beta fish or anything, they didn't react, but we could look in there and they'd never see us. Um, and I thought about getting like a film that they put in, uh, like off high rise offices and stuff. Yeah, it's, it's a lot cheaper than doing legit blinds or tinting an entire you know high rise building. And they just like a stick on film, and one side's mirror and the other side is completely see through. So I thought about getting those films and trying them on like the front of a vision cage, you know? Yeah. And again, sometimes you wonder like, okay, is the does a human optical illusion work on a reptile? That's true. Or mm-hmm. would the animal do like a betta fish and see itself and, and get just way keep, more stressed out? And yeah. Way, and just basically just keep fighting itself, you know? Which I don't know if that'd be an issue for a female, but for a male, that might be very stressful for. Or something like a cobra that stands there to defend itself and the other the other snake isn't backing down. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, or Ganyasomo, just S'd up, or Boyga S'd up, just like, what are you doing, boy? I don't know. I have to test but, it. Yeah, I don't know. It's something I've, something I've thought about, because, like, I do think they need more room. I just do. Yeah. Like, I oh, think sure. uh, Pelubrids are very mobile animals. They're active Especially hunters. the bigger ones. Yeah. And, like, Soma, Pataeus... Panther, uh, Pituophis, you know, try mark yeah. on. Yeah. Oh, thank Definitely. God I never kept dry mark on in tubs, man. Oh, what a what a job that would be. I mean, just the, the as far as Pituophis goes, this little southern that I have, I'm not even little's kind of a joke because this thing is so big for its age. It's it's kind of mind mind blowing. Yeah, it's a year old, right? Not even no. We're talking like less than six months, and this wow. thing's eaten. This thing could eat hoppers. Like, nice. <laughs> came out the egg literally the size of like a yearling corn snake. Just ridiculous. Awesome. awesome. And about twice the weight. And I have so that now that that female brettles is with Bill, I have an open four foot cage, and so I'm planning on either coming it come spring putting a pair of the like the biggest pair of bairds in that 
uh, and then eventually probably putting her in it. Because she's a freaking eating machine, dude. Like, I feel like you could feed them every day and it's just going to go right through them. Like, they're just going to use it and it's going to yeah. be pushed through. And, like, this is going to be, I mean, it's going to be a big snake. You know, the parents were like six foot plus animals, just monster pines. So, definitely something that I want to give her more room because I know that that's a snake that's going to kind of require it. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. I keep I don't know what the deal is lately, dude. I get on these trains of thought, and then they just kind of float off. <laughs> Do you guys remember though the species that Chris told is Baja something, right? Like Cape Baja, the Centacolus. No, 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 no. It was not. A, it was a uh, Pituophis species. Was it those darker? Red yeah, they're ones? like a reddish black. Look like the like the Mexicans, but with the much darker, deeper red in the front half. Yes. I don't. And I think there were some. Kind of, he said Baja something. I don't know. They were they were really cool looking, and he said they were the smallest of the Pituophis. Really. So, again, I don't remember what species. I guess you can just Google, like, which Pituophis is the smallest, and you'll figure out which one it is. Are, but... they, are they subs of the Depi? Mm, that I don't remember. Okay. I All I remember is he said it was Cape and then Baja, which, and they were the smallest of the Pituophis, and I thought they looked incredible. So if nice. somebody in the chat knows what we're talking about, we can look it up, what they look like, because I, I was a really big fan of them, you know? Really, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a desert python guy. So, of course, like desert North American col uh, colubrids and uh, boa species are really catching my eye right now because they fit in well with kind of what I already know. I'm looking so. at pictures right now on the, on the group chat to see where he posted them. So, uh, Bill says it's a Cape Baja gopher vertebralis. Oh, there you go. Yeah. That sounds right. Yeah. That was it. Cool. So yeah, if you can just look up. Uh... Uh, my internet's acting weird because of this Google thing. It's not letting me. Let's try this. Pituophos. I think I don't think it was Chris. I think it was uh, it was Mike Kosicki who was talking about those. I thought. Oh okay. Okay. But yeah, I I saw the picture and was like, oh, that's that's an amazing looking. I've yeah. not heard of those before. Here we go. We got we got some Google pictures here. Yeah, very reminiscent of a Janai, but yeah, like I said, yeah, like more, more contrast, darker mm -hmm. like in that front. Apparently, yeah. they're they're like normal sized for pituitas, <clears throat> like compared to corn snakes and stuff. Like babies actually come out a normal colubrid size, and not these freaking <laughs> monster Space Jam <laughs> like a neonates that come out all jacked and diesel. Oof. Now, obviously, this picture is doctored. Uh, doctored, or not even doctored. It could just be an old photo with you know bad contrast, but still, awesome looking. Yeah, I really think all the pituofers from Mexico, honestly, most of the colubrids from Mexico are incredible looking, especially like the the northern, you know, Cinecolis, the the mm -hmm. Jani, that kind of stuff. I'm really crushing on that stuff lately, as far as uh, snakes go. Mexican beards are probably my favorite out of the beard stuff. Yeah. Yeah, man. There's uh, something about that gray head that just cuts off so sharply to everything else. 
I don't, I don't know. Honestly, dude, Senecolis, I, I need I need to see it in person, man. I've never seen one in person. I messaged Casey Lazik when he had eggs. I need to message him back because he told me he would sell me some. So there you go. cool. Definitely yeah, need to play I'll, with uh, Are you coming to uh Billy's thing on uh November thirteenth? The the Is Tampa that- show he's I'm coming down. So I'm going to try and come – I talked to Billy. I'm going to try and come the Saturday night into the Sunday, but I know that, like, we can't party till all of us the evening because he's going to work the show the next day. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're not so, going to do that. So i got to figure out if I may just drive up for the Sunday to hang out and then drive home Sunday night. I don't know yet. Okay. But, yeah, I can't take the whole weekend off, so we'd make do what we can do. Yeah, I mean, sounds. Like I'm planning on coming up that way. So, all right. Yeah, I'll definitely, I'll definitely try and at least come for the Sunday. So, uh, yeah. So you, Casey, work. you mentioned something yesterday um, about wanting to talk about the sort of room dynamics or something along those. Yeah, lines? this is, uh, I guess, like a snake room PSA stuff. Sure. Um. I ran into an issue. I was on the phone with Ryan Cox when this happened too, which is why he was planning on coming on with us, but it uh, just didn't work out today. Um, I had an interesting issue in a new room because I moved uh, about eight months ago or so, however long it was. Um, turns out in the room I'm at, if you turn on the heat, which I did about two and a half weeks ago, it will drop your humidity from... 60% to 25%. Oh, yeah. And yeah. it dried out all of my water bowls. And I was not oh, yeah. aware of this. So, you know, I'm on the phone with Ryan. We're talking about whatever. And I check on my male Sanzinia, who, along with having his water bowl dried out for several days, um, had it, had not been eating because I'm getting ready to cool everything down. So, go in, take a look at him. And he is not looking good at all like clearly dehydrated probably a little bit emaciated yeah and i'm like oh god something's wrong so take him let him soak for a couple hours put in two water bowls in his cage and uh about two three days later i fed him and now he looks great but you know little reptile psa if this is the time of year where everybody's starting to turn their heat on uh, oh, yeah. watch your humidity because your water bowls are going to dry out way faster than they usually do just because, you know, everything's drier. Yeah, it, it's crazy how it just zaps that humidity like that. So, yeah. the you know, infamous, the infamous basement nosebleed. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, did he turn around though? Like once he got some oh, water? Oh, yeah, like instantly. I put him in fine. the water and he was able to drink and, you know, especially when I gave him a little bit of food. Um, I did, it's kind of a mixture of a couple things where uh, this is the time of year where I stopped paying attention to my adult stuff because I'm getting ready to stop feeding them and kind of get them ready for the cool down. Um, Since I've been working over at Justin Kabilka's for a little while, um, I've been feeding my animals mostly pre-killed stuff. So in the past, what I would do was I would um, let them soak in water either for a few hours or even overnight, which, you know, makes the prey items have a lot more hydration than uh, just a straight-up pre-killed rat. Oh, yeah. So, 
you know, they're not getting that extra hydration from that. And I turned the heat on and everything got way drier. So again, my room's usually like 55, 60% humidity. Now it's like 25, 30% humidity. I'm going to get a new humidifier coming in pretty soon. I just, I wasn't paying attention because I didn't think about it. Yeah. So I guess that's a PSA for all you guys out there is once you're starting to turn on the heat, watch your humidity because things can start going pretty wrong pretty fast. Yeah. Now is your, now's the time to put Govi and sensor push monitors on your Amazon wish list for Santa to bring you. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I noticed that, uh, that the, the season had changed even down here in South Florida, where we live in literally the soup bowl. Mm-hmm. My bovida packs dried up, mm-hmm. and it's like they're in airtight containers, but the pressure changes, the humidity in the yep. room drops. It's not completely air sealed because it has a pressure valve on it, or it's wooden, you know. So, another indicator. Yeah, and again, I mean, I know like. You say, oh, you're not supposed to talk about your failures. I wouldn't really consider this a failure. This is just a, like, I got negligent for a little while, and it could have been bad if I'd let it go on for another, like, week sure. or two. Sure. But I caught it before it was really an issue. So, you know, if you're in a place where you're starting to turn on your heat, check on your animals a little bit more because yeah. things, are, things are about to start getting a lot drier. And see, and Casey, I, I commend you for telling that story because – you yourself even said like, oh, you're not supposed to talk about your failures. First of all, I don't look at it as a failure. I look at it as a learning experience. Uh, whether it, Even if it was a poor experience, it was still a learning experience. And it's something that you'll be mindful of for the future. And you telling your story can help out countless individuals that have the opportunity to listen to this. And that's wonderful. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I mean, I have no problem talking about my, my quote unquote failures because I don't have regrets about it. I mean, I may regret, you know, the way I did it, but at the same, I don't regret that it happened because it, it makes me who I am today. And it's, it's all a learning experience, you know? I mean, something, something as stupid as, uh, uh, Dr. Crawdaddy told me, uh, with, with my baby pyros, he's like, dude, that setup looks great, but see that paper towel roll. He says, cut that thing in thirds, flatten them out and make crevices out of toilet paper rolls. And I was like, that's brilliant. So I save every single paper towel roll, cut it in thirds, every single toilet paper roll, and I crush them down flat, and I just stack them as if they're pieces of shale. But they're they're cardboard, so they're light. And, dude, the king snakes go in and out of them every single night. You can see where they move them around and stuff. And something that was me not knowing what I'm doing correctly and then having just an out-of-the-box thought from Doc, it's a learning experience. You know what I mean? Yeah. And again, I mean, my usual, uh, you know, I'm getting a little lazy with looking at stuff just because that's the time of year. Sure. But, you know, it's also a complete change in the uh, the rhythm of the room, for lack of a, you know, yeah. lack of a better word. Sure, sure. Yeah. You turn from AC to heat, everything's going to get way drier. Yeah. I, uh, I noticed that because um, I, I finally got night drop modules for my Vivarium electronics units. And I have it set for on this particular rack with the Serastes in it. And for, forgive me if I've told the story already, but I have it set for 16 degree drop after 8 p.m., right? And I noticed it wasn't doing it. It was just holding temp. 
And I was like, why is this doing this? And then I came in the room uh, on my day off at like two in the afternoon. <coughs> Excuse me. And I noticed that the the probe is all right. So the thermostat set at 90. The probe says 81, but the room is 88. Which like, should be I, impossible. Yeah. Right. Which should be impossible. So I start a temp gun the actual heat tape. And the heat tape, when I temp gun it, said 81. And I was like, this is peculiar. And I realized that either the way that the airflow works in that rack, because it is slots in the back and I'm using Cambro tubs, the inside of the tub was 88 on the hot side. The probe read 81. The panel was 81, but the room was 88 because heat rises. It's upstairs and I have other lamps in the room cooking. So because the Cambro tubs are so thick or maybe because of the airflow, the way that I drilled the holes, whatever, I don't know. I have this anomaly. So now I have to feather those other heat emitters so that I can get the rack up in temp, but keep the room at a normal temperature. And I still have, yeah. this was a couple days ago I found this. So this is very, very I'm very interested as to how I'm going to make this work. I mean, the snakes don't care. They're happy. They're eating and pooping, you know? Yeah, it's kind of weird where you figure out like weird little tricks like that. Yeah. Um, I can tell you that wood mites which come in with cypress mulch and some of the, you know, I'm kind of a Home Depot herper. We've told this story before. We all are, man. Where, you know, I'm not going to go out and buy a bunch of cocoa chips when I can go get cypress mulch from the from the uh, hardware store for way less money and it works just as well, if not better. Yeah. But I can tell you that wood mites, which come in with some of the, uh, some of the cypress mulch, they attack blue tongue skinks. After they've mated, because you know blue tongues are very, uh, they're very rough with each other. Right. Um, when they bite, they make a little bit of like little uh, little scars on the back of the females. Sure. Uh, wood mites will infest those scars. They won't infest anything else, but they will definitely jump on the scars of those. Wow. And weirdly, um, bamboo rat snakes. Bamboo rat snakes will really? get infested by wood mites. Other snakes, other pythons, you know, other uh, colubrids and pythons won't do it. Something about bamboo rat snakes uh, attracts wood mites, and I don't know why that is. So that's something you have to be very careful with those animals. It's because they're made of bamboo. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, the, the wood mites will leave everything else alone. You may see one, like, crawling on something every once in a while, but it's not a big deal. They'll, like, make little colonies on top of bamboo rat snakes. Wow. And it's really gross when you see it. I can imagine. I don't know why that is. It's really strange, but they just, the wood mites for, like bamboo rat snakes. Just for the record, Casey's talking about wood mites, not wood lice, which are springtails. Yeah. So, yeah. And These, wood mites and snake mites are different. Arachnid. Wood mites, yeah. they're uh, significantly larger than snake mites. They're uh, kind of like a tannish brown versus a snake mite, which is black. There are red mites and snakes too. Um, I don't know if you see them in the stuff you catch, Phil, out in Florida, but we have red mites that will infest. Uh, you see them a lot on um, black rat snakes and okay. uh, black racers. You'll see like little red mites on them. But wood mites usually just eat uh, mold on wood. But for some reason, they like bamboo rat snakes. So you have to be careful about that. I wonder if it has some kind of 
whether it be a pheromone from the bamboo rats or it's a musk or them swimming through their urates, something like that. I, I don't know. But the, the only red mites, the only red mites I've seen, honestly, are on uh, South American field collected iguanas. We used to get in, you know, shipments from Guatemala and Honduras and just buckets and buckets of green iguanas back in the day. And they would have little red specks on them and you'd scrape the speck with your finger and it was a mite, you know. Yeah, um, I don't know if that's the same species. Maybe, maybe it is. Who knows? I don't know. Well, you see them like just walking around on the the, the pavement. Sometimes they're like a little uh, pinkish red mite. Oh yeah, I've I've seen those. I've just not seen them on a critter. Maybe I'm not looking. Yeah, uh, you see them a lot on black racers. I don't know why that is, and I don't even know if they're a, they're a bad thing. Yeah, on them. But if you catch a black racer and you really uh, look them over up here, you'll see uh, little red mites on them. I think I found those on yellow rats before. Interesting. Uh, Vic wants to know how my baby pyros, if they're eating, uh, the male is a savage. He will literally eat anything I put in front of him. And he's not growing like a weed, but he's normal and healthy looking. The female has yet to eat for me. I got her at Daytona, um, but she's grown and gotten heavier. So um, I'm probably going to try, uh, for those of you that are in the Snakes and Stogies Facebook group, I posted a video of a guy in Europe with a red-bellied black snake doing the old switcheroo where you start with a gecko tail and you lure the snake over to the frozen thought pinky and right before the snake bites the gecko tail, you move real quick and it, it bites the pinky instead. Um, I'm probably going to try that next with the baby pyro. But I actually have a picture of the female just to show you that, like, I mean, I got her in August. August was it? August 20th was Daytona. Mm -hmm. And she's literally gotten bigger and fatter. Yeah. So I don't know if that's a, a classic pyro thing. Like, she knows winter is coming. And I mean, I don't know, but she looks good. And she's cruising the cage every day. She poops every so often, but nothing really comes out. It's just a little speck, you know? So looking good. Looking good. Looking looking thick for her age. I just I'm I'm wondering too is if I should if I should cool her just a little bit. And then even before winter's over, just bring the temp back up and see if that instigates a feed. So I'm probably going to try the switcheroo tail trick first and go from there. I finally, so I had one baby bears out of that clutch that I hatched that has just not wanted to eat since um, when did those hatch? I think those hatched in August too. Okay. And um, it finally ate a pinky on its own the other day, completely of its own volition, which was really oh, surprising. Drop head. Nice. And I was, I was, I, periodically have tried pinkies otherwise i've just been throwing some tails in it here and there and uh i was surprised when i opened the tub like 15 minutes after i dropped it in there and uh it was gone so and hopefully that's the start of her eating yeah yeah, yeah i think it will be it is one of the females too ironically nice i was gonna say is do you try tuna water yet or no no Okay. I mean, the all the other bears they're rocking and rolling, man. It's just this this one since since the jump has been a a pain. 
with food, which is kind of odd because those are not known to be hard to get going. But yeah. I guess there's there's always going to be one in the group. Yeah, there's always going to be that one. So, baby colubrids, damn it. So, last week I tried to feed 20 baby brittles for the first time. And I thought I was going to get 100%. I have not gotten 100% uh, yet. I got 18 out of 20. Nice. It's like the last two, I almost think I was a little bit impatient with them because I was getting cocky. But <laughs> it was two different clutches worth. So... I did get 100% on one clutch, which I'm kind of proud of, but it was a very small clutch. Okay. But that's pretty, uh, pretty par for the course for uh, first time trying to get brittles to eat. Usually like if you have like, you know, 19, 20, 21, 22, you'll have like two or three that hold out. And that's what I had this time. I was really hoping I would get 100% to eat. For the first time. Did, um, how long did you wait before you attempted feed? This was actually a pretty long wait. This was like a month. So that wasn't really on purpose. This was just like, I was going to, uh, Tinley and I was going to a couple, like I had a couple things going on where I just put off feeding that week. Cause like, ah, if they regurge, I'm going to come back and everything's gonna be gross. So I kind of just put things off until I knew that I could kind of keep an eye on stuff. Sure. But it didn't really change anything. Uh, usually I'm trying to get brittles to eat. I'll do uh, live fuzzies the first time. And usually, uh, you know, my, I uh, usually have one or two that don't eat. And believe it or not, they seem to prefer just drop feeding. Okay. So, in other words, like drop feeding uh, frozen thawed, just getting them right. really hot and just putting it in front of them. And leaving the overnight, that seems to work for the one or two that don't eat. I've yet to have one that just refused. Okay. But, you know, for this group, what I'll probably do is every, uh, you know, every couple days, every other day or so, I'll unthaw about five and just see who wants to eat. Nice. The, and uh, slowly train them, how to, train them how to eat food, basically. Yeah. But that's awesome that they just take the drop. That's awesome. Even if it's live. The, uh, I got the pair of Nova guineas from Billy and, um, the female was eating great and the male was not, and the male was not looking too, too hot. So I would have given the male back to him for him to kind of nurture. And he got it eating literally the night that I gave it back to him. I think I, you were there. I think when I brought it back, um, I think it was, yeah. What's that? Justin I said, of course. Yeah. There's and, uh, what's that? Oh no! I was gonna say there's tricks. There's tricks with carpets. Yeah. So. Yeah. I tried. Billy told me his first trick he always does is the, is tap him on the nose with a prey item. Didn't work. I, I tried a gauntlet of things, but I give it back to him. The thing eats for him, no problem. And then my female stops eating. I give him the male. I had the female stops eating, and I'm like, man, this is not good. What the hell? But I wasn't worried because she put on good weight from all the feedings prior to this interaction. And it weeks go by. This thing is not eating. I'm trying live. I'm trying frozen. I tried scented. I tried everything. I'm like, what happened? You were eating frozen thawed fuzzies. What happened? So I wound up uh, thawing out too many mice. I wasn't counting right. And I went to give it to Subak. Subak didn't want it. She was like, oh, I'm full. Get out of here. 
So I was like, ah, let's see what the, see what it does. And I put that frozen thawed adult mouse on hemostats and like danced it in there. And that carpet, you'd swear that carpet baby saw a ghost. And she <laughs> freaked out, stood up like a like a gunyasoma and started striking. And on the third strike, hit it and wrapped it. And I was like, that's it. That's the trick. So I so I let her eat it. I waited till she pooped everything out. She dropped a horse-sized turd. And uh, I waited a week. And then I did the same exact thing. And she did it again. So that's going to be the trick from now on. Just and give her it a... feels like that, that means you're going to grow faster. So Yeah, something like that. <laughs> the, the biggest trick I've noticed with carpets is if you let them hang. In other words, you put uh, just maybe their last third or just their tail, uh hang down from the tub. And you just pester them. And there's with their um they're S'd up, like right. in their strike position. Like a, like kind of like tap side, tap one side, and just alternate mm-hmm. and just annoy them. And they'll bite. And if they bite to the point where they're hanging, you almost see the little gears in their heads turn. Nice. Where it's like, oh, I have this food in my mouth. And you just gotta stand still and let them figure it out. Sure. And they'll hold sure. with the you know, the food in their mouth. And you just kind of get a wait. And you almost see them thinking it all through. And then the gear will turn and they'll start to slowly swallow. And another thing I've noticed, too, is once they get up to about the shoulder of the mouse, then you can kind of take their body and just flip them back in there. The shoulder seems to be the point of no return as far as swallowing goes. Not always, but like 95% of the time. And you never had a baby do the the flip flip throw. Um, jungle carpets are the worst about that. Okay. Where you'll, ha- I have literally had jungles hold, like just hang down with the mouse in their mouth for like thirty minutes and just fling it off. They're the yeah. worst about. It. I hate jungle carpet pythons. Yeah. yeah. But, um, that is one of the most. Uh, like consistent things I've seen with stubborn carpets. And usually if you only have to do that for like four or five meals and then they figure it out, like, Oh, this thing in my mouth is food. I'm just gonna go ahead and swallow it. But, um, the hanging trick is definitely the most success I've had with carpet pythons. Okay. Cool, like, man. and you know, just sitting on the ground Indian style is the, uh, the best way to do it. Cause then That's you can just the trick. Yeah. yeah. Like, them they'll they'll grab it they'll hold on to it and then you just kind of sit still and let them figure it out let them swallow to the point that they're uh a little bit past the shoulder and then just flip them back in and close it really fast and they'll usually figure it out yeah i've done a crisscross applesauce more times than i could like to admit with baby snakes just sitting there on the floor deli cup tweezers just oof memories I mean, it's Painful fun. Painful memories. Like those yeah. first, uh, I don't know, those first three, four meals on a, a whole bunch of carpet pythons. That can be a, that could be a solid like eight, ten hour day. Just I believe it. Annoying carpet pythons, getting them to eat. Yeah. <sighs> the things we love, right? I mean, it's fun, but. It's uh, it's very rewarding too when you know you spent those you know six to six to ten hour days annoying carpet pythons and then 
you start going down the line and they all eat. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so Bill says, this is why I like lizards. Baby lizard just means smaller bugs. Bugs run. Lizards chase. Done. <laughs> and uh, I got to say, man, I, I can confidently say that any baby lizard I've personally produced, that's literally just what happens. <laughs> so. Yeah. It is really rewarding to do the lizard things, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, now that uh, I don't have that female brettles anymore, I have that extra exoterra, and I'm really thinking about... <sighs> I, I think what I need to do is the cordillas that I have now, I need to separate, because my two-year-old, they're almost, shit, they're almost three years old now, um, are at that age now where things are starting to... They're starting to notice each other, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And uh, I think I may want to just take the male out and separate him and leave him be on his own um, and then just introduce him when the time is right. When in the past, I've just kept pairs together. So I think now I have that extra exoterra. I might as well. It's at my disposal. So plus it gives me an excuse to make another little African display with the grass and the rocks and shit. So. <clears throat> And I do really yeah. dig the displays you've been doing with the ring calls and stuff like that. Yeah, I appreciate that, man. I do. I, I need to. So I've been stealing, not stealing. I've been knowingly taking styrofoam from work. Whenever we get packages in, like uh, we got a, a printer uh, toner cartridges. You know, it comes in that really dense foam mm -hmm. to make it a square. Well, I take that foam home. Because that foam, it's already super dense and like good and perfect for carving. And I'm sure my roommate wants to kill me, but I have all this styrofoam just stacked up in the living room. It's unsightly. Um, but I need to like get to carving and start to get these things going. And like I have so many great ideas for styrofoam rock foundations. And like, you know, Dustin is, is a hardcore inspiration. You know what I mean? With all of his gecko stuff that he's been doing all the foam and the grout and whatever else he's doing yeah oh man and i i get these ideas in my head and i'm like man that would look so cool and i'm like but it's an elapid and it's gonna shit all over it and knock it over so i still got always it. something to think about when you do a uh display enclosure yeah how yeah. easy to clean is this going to be yeah. or better yet how easy how easy is it to remove the animal you know, because yeah. you could you could put the animal in there and the animal lives perfectly fine and doesn't mess up the decor at all. But the minute you go to, like, take it out and it's like, no, 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 I'm staying right here. You know, and I was over Henry's uh, yesterday and we were he was feeding mango and mango puts a loop around a living a living tree. He's like a little tree in there and just uproots it. Just like like an elephant trunk picking up a, a palm tree. It just uproots the thing. And Henry's going, no, 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 you dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> so things like that crossed my mind. But I did find, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> excuse pardon me. I did find that if you, if you're planting wheatgrass and you let it grow to its full stalk length and it starts to wilt, if you completely let the soil dry out, the plant fully dries out and doesn't die. It just goes in that dormant stage like winter. And now what I want to do is I want to put it inside something porous 
and then put that inside of the styrofoam display. So it is the living plant. I can water it just enough to keep it alive, but not enough that it's going to rot or not enough that it's going to want to to die off to restart its cycle. So now I have like dead grass in my house, if that makes sense. So that's what the wrinkles, right? Yeah, ideally that was the goal. Yeah, I've been yeah. I've been using it with the cordillas too because they they freaking love it. They like run underneath it, they compact it down, and like they they bask on top of it like it's a little canopy. <clears throat> so with those, are you just leaving the wheatgrass outside, or are you using a no? I'm like doing a window, all. or are you using a I don't no, know man, grow light? Just, no, not no lights at all. Just <clears throat> sorry, man. I gotta clear my throat. No, you're good. The um. I'm literally just keeping it in the house at room temperature and whatever lights are on at the time. So like if we're eating dinner in the living room and the lights on, that's the only light it's getting. And it, dude, it, it literally grows like weeds and uh, it gets to this big, pretty bush. And then a week later it falls over and dies. So I realized that if I let it dry out, it'll stay wherever it was. And then if I add more water, it'll perk up and then die. So I'm trying to feather it and kind of see where I can keep it. And then I, I have a friend who, who breeds, not breeds, excuse me, he germates wheatgrass for house cats and, and pets and stuff, like, like cat grass, you know? Yeah. And he says that if you if you keep cutting it about an inch above the root, it'll just keep growing and just keep growing and just keep growing. You just trim it and grows and trim it and grows, just like your hair on your head. So I don't know if I want to do that, though, because for – two weeks it'll be unsightly <laughs> you know what i mean it'll look like yeah you know i mean it's like a like, like a one-week haircut yeah ex exactly exactly so i don't know i'm still playing with it and then of course i bought fake grass fake it's actual it's supposed to be african spear point and it looks similar but i can't get african spear point that's not a giant bush for your yard you know <laughs> yeah um i can't get real african spear just point shove it in there it's terrariumable um and i got fake ones so if this whole wheatgrass thing fails however i plant it into the fake styrofoam rocks that i'm going to make like the the, the the pottery i'm going to do i'm going to do it so that i can just rip that out stick the fake one in pour some fake or some you know dirt to cement it in place and i'll just use the fake grass screw it so yeah and i mean i think it looks really good yeah, and I can't speak highly enough about uh, PetBackdrops.com. Um, they have no idea who I am, so this is not like a, a paid endorsement or anything. They, it's, but they it could make, be. If they choose uh, to, it could be. They, yeah, exactly, exactly. But they do a self-adhesive background that's vinyl, it's UV-resistant, and it adheres to the back inside of the enclosure. They do vision cages, PVC, glass, whatever, and you can send them your picture that you took and upload it and size it out. And all you do is just spritz a little water on the wall and just smoothen it out, use a credit card. And it just, it comes out so good. It looks so great. I mean, here, here's, this enclosure is not nearly done because I still have them on paper, but look at this. Look at this guy. Can I get a picture of you as my background for one of them? If you want, absolutely. Oh, the one of you, more. the one of you with the, in the shop? Uh, no, not at all. That's the one picture they won't do. Any other picture, they'll do it. Yeah, right? <laughs> Bear with me while I send this to myself because this Google sucks. I'm confused about the Google thing. Are they trying to get you to use 
uh, Chrome and you don't want to? No, I'm on Chrome. I have to oh. use Chrome for StreamYard. Um, what it is is this computer is old as dirt, and it won't let me update to the new iOS mm. because it's so old. It like doesn't have the ability to do it. Um, so because I haven't updated, it thinks that every website that's not you know the Google homepage is going to give me viruses. And it's like, are you sure you want to do this? And I'm like, yeah, I'm sure. I trust this website. No, we don't trust it, so we're not going to let you do it. So here is my big male. Uh, his name is Arnold. With his Arnold. Arnold. With his Drakensberg background. And like, obviously, my light, thank you. My, my lighting is a little off. You know, he's got, uh, he has a 50 watt uh, Zilla micro halogen. And then he's got a 5.0 Zoomed, so majestic, so majestic a 5.0 Zoomed uh, UVB. Uh, and eventually when I, if I do decide to put the live plants in there, I have the Zilla micro LED plant bulbs. Um, I don't know what the percentage or wattage or whatever it is, but I have two of them to set up for these enclosures in case I do want to put the grass alive in there and kind of go from there. But but th that's a stick on picture, you know, uh, uh, a, a, a good acquaintance in South Africa took the photo and sent it. And like, I think it looks great. Yeah, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm biased. I don't know. No, clean. I think it looks great too. And I mean, even if you... I mean, and it, I told him, I was like, look, I'm specifically looking for landscape photos. But even if I zoom in, like, if the lighting was right, you know what I mean? I don't know. Maybe I'm off my rocker. I think it looks pretty good. I do think it's crazy, though, how much South Africa looks like, you know, the Wyoming, Montana. Yeah. Area. Yeah, I was just gonna say. I was just gonna say, like northeastern California. <laughs> yeah, that's probably more accurate, judging by the uh, the temperatures and stuff like that. But yeah, but yeah, man, it's all a work in progress, always. How? Uh, okay, random question about ring calls. Um, how common are they in their uh, native habitat? Like, They're... how likely are you to find one? So if you were to go there. So it depends on the time of the year and it depends on the region you're in. So in the eastern regions of the Eastern Cape province, they're not as common uh, unless it is uh, unless it is autumn into winter and then they're on the move doing whatever. Um, in Khotang and like Johannesburg area, they're super common, but again, like autumn into into winter and even in winter they're everywhere people have them in their houses all the time and then you go into like knz the kwazulu natal um it's it's again seasonal but there's pictures of like i mean i've seen i've showed them here like phenomenal photographer tyler ping he's in uh i want to say he's in durban two hours northwest of durban and it's uh, a band of calls basking on top of snow and it's like, I mean, I have that. I have to show you that picture. And I, I know I've shown it on here before, and people are probably like, we're sick of the snow rink. But it's just such an amazing photo. I can't not share it every time I every time I think about it. I mean, it's a, 
it's a snake on snow. That's cool yeah. no matter what, let alone a ring calls. Right. And I wish I, I wish I have to contact him and find out exactly like what time of year it was and exactly where it was. Cause when I saved the picture, him and I hadn't spoken like on Instagram or anything yet, but like, that's one of my favorite pictures of all time. Yeah. It's amazing. Like how great is that picture? And you can, you can feel the, the overcast, high, humid, rainy, cold, the, 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 the cold rain of this picture. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, that's the kind of snow we get here. That's yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just that, that just like light to... dusting that turns into ice really yes. quickly. Yeah. Because it rained just after it snowed. And you look at the, how dark the animal is and it makes me, I, I wish I knew what that animal looked like six months from this photo. Yeah. That's you know, uh, a, that's a, that's a North Georgia snow. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and you see these, these mountains in the background and it's so difficult because there are foothills in this area that are only 1200 foot high, but like, I'm pretty sure this area, the max is like 4,000 or 5,000 feet. So who knows how high up in theory, how high up the snake is. Jokes on you. That photo was taken in Gwinnett County. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So, but this is, this is by far my favorite wrinkles picture I've ever come across. It's just, it's so awesome. And I have, and I have an animal that looks just like this, and I can't wait for. I'm probably not going to do it this year, just because I'm still getting my feet wet. But next year, when I finally decide to pair stuff up and I have my chiller worked out better, I can't wait to see if there is a seasonal color more for color change, even if I newt one, because you just don't get the observations that much. Like I talked to Dane, who bred them this past year, and he said that there really wasn't any color change. But at the same time. He really didn't check on them through brumation. So mm -hmm. I mean, look, look at them that way, you know? Yeah. But the quest for knowledge continues, man. You got you a nice group of them. I do. And like, dude, and that's the worst part is, so I've got uh, six, seven, eight, not seven, eight, nine, ten. No, I've got five, six, seven, eight. Yeah, I've got 5.4, right? And I want to get a 10th one. Does that make sense? I, yeah. I just like, I want to have a 10th one to say I have a 10th one, but, and I have a few, I have access to a few of them, um, but I don't because I know that in my hopes and dreams, I'm going to produce them myself and then I'm going to be inundating with the fucking things. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, because they have like 60 babies at a time, right? Like they have a lot of babies. No, no, no. I mean, the average is less than 20. The average is the average is no different than most snakes under 20. It's usually around 15 to 18. Um, sometimes it's even less. Um, and for example, like the ones that come out of extreme eastern Zimbabwe, like right on the Mozambique border, they only have like seven or eight babies. That's it. So That's pretty manageable. What yeah. was I thinking of that has 60 babies though? I heard they, somewhere they have like they, they can the, the whole thing is okay. like like if you if you Wikipedia it or Google it it's like Hemacatus uh, Hemacatus can have fifteen to sixty one babies it's like who the hell came up with that number that makes no sense you know? yeah now don't get me wrong puff adders I have seen a puff adder drop sixty four offspring so but that animal is also over six foot and probably about that wide freaking mothership it, it, legit the mothership 
So her boyfriend could literally ride on top of her. <laughs> so probably yeah, that was uh that was a hurricane Wilma breeding. That's what that was. Hmm. Yeah, it was uh oh my god, we need to pack up these snakes and, and immediately. Well, crap, put those two giant puff adders together in a vision cage and we'll 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 uh, tape a piece of wood to the front glass and throw it in in the in the storeroom with everything else and two days later man that girl looks like she's might be ovulating <laughs> weird so, yeah yeah so uh to breed them are you just going to do a kind of a typical cooldown period on the rinks yeah on the rinks so just talking to 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 um dane because he and he's the only guy that i know of recently that i can talk to about breeding and pick his brain a little bit um because everyone that i've known in the past was decades ago or in country which let's be really doesn't count you know yeah um and the european guys and gals it's difficult because yeah um what I think I want to do is, <clears throat> I think I want to do basically confined compartments. The animal can have room to move, but not much. And that way I can slide it into like a rack system, essentially, in the wine cooler. And what I want to do yeah. is I want to put, an, for lack of a better word, a night drop module on the wine cooler. So that I can fluctuate the temperature, you know what I mean, and get it to spike during the day, and then come down at night, and 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 get that those highs and those lows. Um, but from what I gathered, Dane did not do that. Dane just kept him at like fifty-five for the allotted time. And at one point, he was like, "Oh man, I, I think it's been too long. I, I got to check on him." And he opens the door to like find a dead snake, and it's not. The snake's just doing laps in the tub. Like it's freezing in here. Get me out, you know. Yeah. So, you know those those keeled animals, man. They're just they handle that cold. You know, those yeah, because like looking at the environment, like what little I know about South Africa, it sounds a lot like something that, you know, for like it sounds like something that's kind of my bread and butter. Sure. Sure. You know, something that kind of needs that. Maybe not quite typical, but a little bit colder than a typical uh, python or boa. Yeah. Uh, cool down period. Yeah. And it's very interesting to see how the the banded phenotypes are more cold and more grassland. Because okay. whether whether it be a uh, a lightning of color and at the same time it's maneuvering itself through the grass like a zebra trying to break it break up the pattern, you know? Mm-hmm. But then you look at some of the stuff that's more northern and they're just they're jet black. And you wonder, like, is that a temperature thing or well, look at the timbers we have here? Exactly. Yeah, but it's it would be the opposite. You see what I'm saying? Because the more north you go in South Africa, essentially the warmer it's getting, the closer you're getting to the equator. Right. But they're more black. The concept's the same. The concept's the same. Yeah. So this is all yeah, stuff that I'm wrong. trying to figure out and trying to learn and doing my best to be a half-ass non-academic so i do wonder that though about the uh the southern african rock pythons you know the ones that 
are pretty much ex- or not pretty much they are extinct in uh, the United States hobby. Yeah, people just couldn't really uh, figure out how to breed them. For one, it's a rock python. You know how many people are really trying to breed rock pythons? But for two, oh, yeah. I wonder if they required more of a a cooling seasonal cycle than what people are used to, and just they weren't successful. It could very well be. It could very well be. You know, and then I just think like I have a lot of photos. I won't I won't inundate everyone with them. But you look at an animal like. So here's an animal that is from northeastern Johannesburg, okay? And this is a common phenotype. And that's a wrinkles. So that all white look? Yeah. It, but it's not really white. It's more of like a light gray, like a slate color. Um, but at the same time, if you drive across town, across city, the animal turns into this. Hmm. So it goes from all white to all black. Yep. So really, my question really of that would be if it's in uh, Johannesburg, which is a very urbanized area, right? Right. Is the all white look more to blend into cement, bricks, stuff like that? You know, is that a recent um, well, evolution of that species? Uh, no, it's believed to be the stone and the, the rocks of the earth. So you have a, damn, I can't remember. It's a very, very rich in iron soil. That's that blood red soil. No, uh, it's with an L. I can't remember it for the life of me. I'll, I'll look it up in that second. But that rich iron soil yields a a more colorful snake just because okay. it has to blend into that terrain. While as these animals here is more the uh, uh, limestone and shale and those more grayscale rocks and grayscale soils, hence the coloration. And I mean, that, and that's the theory. Um, you know, you look at an animal like this one. Now, this is I, I got I to gotta find my notes, but this is obviously a baby or a juvenile, probably six to eight months old, um, and it is in a puddle. And this is on the other, this is south, southwestern Johannesburg, or southwestern Kaltang. Uh, Chilbert. Chilbert. Yeah, that's a, almost patternless. Yeah. And it, it, it's not known if this animal will turn into that white one I first showed you, or if it's going to retain this exact patterning its entire life, where it has those very, very faint barred look, or if the, that tipping and that speckling will just disappear and it'll just be a khaki snake. Who knows? You know, and then you drive, uh, you, you drive two and a half, three hours do, straight due south, and you run into this. So they're basically Cape Cobras. Very so that's more of a, a red type phase, or is that more what you have? Uh, so this is more. So I've got, from what I've gathered, I've got Northwestern KwaZulu Natal 
and the eastern portion of the Eastern Cape province. Because I have ones that are very, very similar to this. And then I have the black and white or the black and yellow banded, strictly banded. So uh, it's not known if the Eastern Cape yellow banded ones are an intergrade between this and the jet black ones from Johannesburg, or if it's just the, the soils in that area, the grass mm -hmm. in that area, they yield that zebra pattern. You know, who, who knows? So I'm very, I'm very excited to see what's to come. And now that I have a diverse group of individual animals, I, I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to be selective in my breedings, in my pairings. I was just going to throw the right size adults together, see what comes out. And now I think I almost have to. I think I have to keep the black and yellow with the black and yellow, the modeled with the modeled, the black and yellow with or black and orange, the black and orange. And just to just to see what my offspring produce, you know, but at the same time, I kind of want to just mix it up and see what comes out. So I, I don't know. I don't know. I, have, I mean, how I cool to be if you just mix your group together and you ended up with, you know, a patternless all black one or a patternless all tan one. Yeah. That'd be you awesome. Know, I think that'd be cool. Yeah. Because, I mean, you, this is, let me pull this up real quick. Yeah. Especially knowing if it's, it, you know, it may be a morph, but it's also a natural phenotype that you see a lot in the wild. Sure. And, and it's something that, in theory, as long as I've got, my localities that I think are correct, they're correct, then pfft, it's a no-brainer. Yeah. Um, so, for example, let me see this picture if it'll let me load. So... I don't remember. One of these is the male. One of these is female. I can't remember which is which, but this is this might very well be my first pairing, even though they're not as big as my other pair. But that I believe that's the female. Yeah, that's a beautiful animal, man. Ooh, yeah. And and here's the male. So very very close. Yeah, very close. Yeah, really, they're more like the, uh, they're almost a snake version of a Gila monster. Yeah. As yeah. far as the overall look of them. You know, and then I'm probably eventually going to do, I need to get a little more size on them. But I have this one here. Uh, where the hell is it? There's so many snake photos. Uh... It's the problem we all have. I know, right? So I'm going to definitely pair this animal. Come on, pictures. So this is that black and yellow uh, banded that we were talking about. There's the one that I have. It's in a, a three-foot enclosure that I'll get the whole plants and everything because I want to show her off. Uh, she's probably my biggest female. She's also damn near the meanest female in the lot. But there's this one that I've shown frequently. And where the hell is the picture of the boy? So here's the boy that I'm going to pair her with. Uh, come on, pictures. Uh, 
Here's the mail. Right? Yeah, yeah. So black and yellow, black head, majority black on the hood. Um, I'm sorry, that's a female. I got the wrong snake. Hold on. Hold on. All right, so that, yeah, that snake there is female. And that's going to go with, yeah, because that's the same snake. That's going to go with this. I should probably put these things like next to each other first so I can compare and contrast. Uh... Damn, this thing won't let me do it. So very, very similar, <clears throat> very, very similar in color, very, very similar in banding. And if I don't do that, that high, the high yellow one, then I'll stick with this high contrast one and see what happens, man. You know? Yeah. And that, I wonder if it's a, like an Amazon Trebo type thing where a polymorphism. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of polymorphism between them where like even if you bred two that look quite similar together, you'd end up with kind of different looks mm -hmm. yeah yeah and i think that also there's the idea where uh it's almost like puppies where you can have attributes that are more so like dad or attributes that are more so like mom but at the same time you can still see that it's the quote-unquote cross you know what i mean yeah yeah for, for all i know i could breed two blacks together and make an orange one who the hell knows so I mean, I still think it'd be pretty cool if you got one that was solid one color, whether it be black or, you know, tan or yellow. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's very interesting that if you notice those those black ones that come out of Hotang that have the white bar on the neck, right, that give the, the quintessential ring neck, you know, and then mm -hmm. you look at these that come out of EC or out of K and Z, and there's almost no ring. It's almost a completely blank chest. Here, I'll zoom in a little bit. I mean... You can see there's there there should be one there there should be one here there should be one here but it's not it's just blank so and then a couple of uh, a couple of the K and Z animals they um their belly is is damn near like cerulean blue like a rich rich vibrant blue unfortunately you you have to put them in a deli cup and hold them upside down like this to see it you know right um so I don't know if that blue belly will translate over or not i don't know and is that like a general rule or is that just no the picture you've seen online the blue belly no i mean all the well the blue belly along with all the general looks is yeah is that just what you happen to see from those areas or is that what they all look like from those areas yeah those area those phenotypes from those areas all exhibit those same traits so like you're not going to find an all black snake with a white neck in Durban, you're, you're just okay. not. It's it's too far away, and it would have to be some kind of anomaly or human transplant or something. It's just yeah, not because I know we've talked about that with corn snakes, where the quote unquote Miami corns, right? You find them way further north than what people would say, and then you also find non-Miami corns in Miami, right? And that would be it'd be the similar thing. It would say, okay, I'm going to find Miami corns in Orlando, 
but mm-hmm. I'm not going to find Miami Corns in Raleigh. You know what yeah. I mean? Something very similar in that regard. So. Yeah, because you know you hear reptile people talk about the overall like locality phenotype and stuff like that, and then you actually start talking to the people that really get in the weeds and really go look for stuff. You're like, yeah. oh, that's not as accurate as you know the field guides or the uh, the internet experts would have you believe. Right. Right. And then I, I, I started to I started to uh, try and find pictures of animals outside of the normal localities. You know, when someone posts a picture from southern Zimbabwe and or even Lesotho. So like there's a ton of snakes in Lesotho, but they don't get exposed on Facebook or they don't get shown on the, the snake ID groups because I guess a lot of people in Lesotho, they're not using Facebook or if mm-hmm. even if they are, they don't think to use the snake ID groups. I mean, who, who knows? But I try and keep I try and save all the photos uh, that I can just for learning. And like you look at this guy who caught this snake in Lesotho. And unfortunately, this individual was very lucky. He had no idea that it was dangerous. He also had no idea that it spat. But it never spat on him once from what he from his description. But look at this animal. This is basically the patterning of the southern states, but the coloration of the northern. And I don't know if you can get it to focus, but Oh wow, that's that's amazing. It's basically a tan yeah. snake with black stripes or black bars, but black banding. So, yeah, like, I'm gonna need guy, you to send me that just on Instagram or something because I, yeah, I know, really yeah. like how that animal looks. Dude, that animal's breathtakingly amazing. And then you look at the terrain in the background. Let me see if I can send it to uh, to post it on here because it doesn't do it justice. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just as far as reptiles go, you know, anything with a a very light background with uh, you know some small patterning, especially bands, that's yes. uh, something I'm really into. All right, so that's let me send this to us on facebook so we can post it yeah just so like that's and and i can't wait to show this photo because this is a classic example of it just the snakes have evolved to match the terrain Mm -hmm. so here is this poor guy in lesotho that found a snake in his yard and he's like hey take a picture we'll put it on facebook and see if people know what it is Look at that animal. And then just look at like the, the dust and the sand and whatever this is over here. And just yeah, it's the like landscape. the opposite to where it's the right. black is kind of the takes the place of the white on the other ones. Of all the ones you've shown, that is my absolute favorite. I love how that thing looks. Yeah. And it's 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 like a um like a South African blackhead almost. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a western blackhead with even smaller uh, black bands. Yeah, smaller, tighter bands, and like I, I like how it has that uh, the lepidus look, the, the rock rattlesnake look, where mm-hmm. it's it's yep. a broad band and then a thin band, broad, thin, broad, thin, broad, thin, all the way down to like the mottled neck. You know, and and this guy was this guy was was cool. He um he says on the Facebook post, he's like, yeah, we took photos of it, but we really didn't know what it was. And we weren't really too keen. It wasn't too happy with us playing with it. So we let it go behind the building and 
made sure that it went off in the grass somewhere and it was away from people. So like I commend this guy because you know clearly he 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 knew the snake wasn't doing him any harm. You know what? No need to kill it. So it was a, it was a good story overall. Yeah, and but, he's like, absolutely lucky it did not spit in his eyes. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and then I was just thinking there was another risotto one that. So this guy, <laughs> this is same same region. Uh, this guy is extremely lucky. Um, <laughs> I, I can't believe this guy didn't get bit. Uh, so this is a Lizotho locality banded wrinkles that when the guy picked it up or the guy found it, oh. it, it feigned death. So <clears throat> that makes me uncomfortable. Yeah, doesn't it? Now, see, now Facebook's being weird. It won't let me exit out of that photo. Hold on. I wish I could see it. Oh, you will. Oh, I know. So this animal is playing dead. It is feigning death. And it's so stressed that it doesn't bite the guy. But this just made my skin crawl when I saw this. And he's oh. he's he's oh. not <laughs> yeah, he's not holding it by the head. He's just holding it. He because he's like, Oh, look, it's it's it died or it's playing dead, whatever. And uh the post really didn't allude to anything, but it does it did say, like, oh, the snake was relocated behind the house and everything's fine. But <laughs> but now that's this is the same region of Africa. But now look at how wide these bands got. You know. Yeah, and they're they're a lot lighter. They're more yeah. of a like a gunmetal blue, at least from that picture. Right. We don't know what kind of phone or what kind of camera he used. Sure. For yeah, those but, pictures, and, but and I think what's most interests me about this photo is um the fact that the animal may not be this light. It may just be dirty from the dust that we see over here. You know, this, mm -hmm. this, this high, dusty, uh, slaty soil. And then if you'll notice here, it has white bands on the throat. So it's very, very interesting. And I feel like this maybe might be some kind of integrated region between those black, those northern black stuff and then the southern, more color banded stuff, too. Again, like getting pictures out of Lizotho is so freaking hard. So I was just lucky to find the four or five that I have. So... It's all part of the quest for knowledge, boys. Yeah, and Never I remember uh, quest. Yeah, I remember watching documentaries about elephants where they would talk about the red elephants or the white elephants, and it wouldn't be a different color phase. It would just be like they color they cover themselves in dust, as far yeah. as uh, like using dust and sunscreen. So, mm -hmm. you know, you're talking about okay, it may be the typical ring calls color phase, but it just covered covered in dust reminds me a lot of that. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and it wouldn't shock me. So I've noticed, um, so I switched all my, all my wrinkles off of paper and put them on actual substrate because they're urinating so much that the tub is just covered in, in, in pea dust, you know, it dries and it's just, it just gets everywhere. And I feel bad for them that not only are they breathing this in because they're in a tub, but it's all over them. It's still uric acid. You know what I mean? However, yeah. however you cut it. Um, 
so that's why like uh recently i did a little bath time photo shoot where i put some of the girls in a excuse me in a tub of water um but it, ma it made me wonder if maybe they did that on purpose and maybe some of these snakes are so dusty because they're doing it on purpose much like the elephant or the rhino maybe it's so hot that they're covering themselves for whatever reason but then you see a picture of the guy holding that one modeled one or the one tight banded one and he's wearing a big heavy jacket and long pants so i i don't i didn't get a chance to look at the time of year in which the photos were taken i, I neglected to remember that but then again it is sub-saharan africa so who knows it could have been 100 degrees out and the guy's still wearing a poofy jacket like marty mcfly who knows well, I mean, you look at the Southern Hemisphere, and the Southern Hemisphere seems to get a lot more UV radiation. Like, it can still be 70 degrees, but you go outside, you feel like you're in an oven because of just how intense the sure. sunlight is. Sure. And again, that's another thing, too, is that, granted, the animals are, are fairly fossorial. They do inhabit a lot of burrows. They're quick to go down a hole of any kind, whether it be a mouse hole or another snake burrow or something. Um, so I imagine they get dusty that way, but just like the elephants do it as a protectant from the sun, it wouldn't shock me if they're doing something similar, even if it's hot out or even if it's, or excuse me, even if it's cold out because they want to get away from the radiation, not necessarily the heat. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, like I said, it can be like room temperature outside, but if you take a UV meter outside, it'll be like 14, which yeah. is insane. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, we, no. we, we saw that in, in West Texas. You know, Burke brought out the the UV uh, index reader and the ambient temperature reader, and it was like it had a, a – I think at one point we were – Justin, was that – it was in Big Bend by that dinosaur bone site. Yeah, yeah. And he did the, the UV index was like 12 – no, I'm sorry. It was like 7 or 8, but it was like 100 degrees ambient, you know. Yeah. And it's still – 100 degrees in the shade but the uv went down to like two you know or whatever it was so was brutal it was brutal but i don't know i just i need to find more locality pictures and i need to learn all that i can in the quest for knowledge i like how i sent justin that picture so i could upload it and justin goes oh whoa <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I would still love to be able to, you know, going back to the West Texas thing. Next time you're out, tell me, because I want to come. Like, Dude, I want to go again so bad. I want to check yeah. out uh, the mountains in Arizona and West Texas and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're, I'm definitely due to go back to uh, Arizona. And, uh, and now I feel like we have so many friends now that are in Arizona. It just, it would make things, I don't want to say easier, but it would make it more fun. Because not only do you get the the fun of the herp trip, but you get the camaraderie of, of yeah, you get the van talks. Yeah, you well, not even that. Just the van talks are awesome. You know, the 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 after herping meal talks are awesome. But mm -hmm. just the people that are in our community that we know are just so awesome, and I feel like it that just it just augments this amazing hobby. You know. And you're in yeah, Arizona. Absolutely. Rattlesnakes and Gila monsters. Yeah, I want to go chase the bear up the hill. I'm 
<laughs> I'm so upset that I didn't get to chase a bear up the hill. <laughs> that was okay. It was cool to see, but <laughs> that was fine. Whatever. It's just a black yep. bear. And dude, like I saw They're a lot bigger when they're not <laughs> my glass. Yeah, I can I can imagine. I, I we always talk about how like you have like your 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 key species you're looking for, you know? Mm-hmm. And finding an, an ornate blacktail was definitely one of my key species, and we saw one. And that was freaking awesome. Experience I'll never forget. But it 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 didn't it didn't couldn't put a finger on the horn toads, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, horn toads were the highlight of the trip, I think. See, I know that there are there's introduced species, there's introduced populations of horn toads in uh, parts of South Carolina, and I think there there were some in Florida. I don't know if they're still existing in Florida. Okay. But something about that kind of fascinates me. Like I know um, Isle of Palms in South yeah, Carolina, which is not too far away from you, right, Justin? No, it's like an hour and a half. Yeah, uh, there are some uh, horn toads. Uh, on the sand dunes out there. I wanted to go check out just, you know, I mean, horn toads, not even a rare animal, but it's just the whole idea of, Hey, these were here because yeah. some soldiers in world war two, you know, their kids came over and brought these and just released them. And they still exist in 2021. Yeah. That's kind of awesome. Yeah. Think you about know? how many, how many, how much inbreeding is there. Yeah. There's so many generations. Yeah. Legit isolated population. Yeah, and there's rumors that there are parts of Georgia where there are horned toads. I haven't asked people where they are. Uh, my friend Jade has told me that there are a couple counties in Georgia. I think it's where down they south. They exist. Like also in sort of not far from me on the coast. Yeah. Yeah, that's like uh, uh, there's people around me that tell me that, you know, an hour from my house, an hour south from my house, there's southern hognose. And dude, I've never seen one. I've never seen an eastern this far south, let alone a southern. So, who knows? Maybe they're just bogarting them. But, well, gentlemen, I have been ranting about wrinkles for far too long. It is the two thirty mark. Yep. Any closing remarks, gentlemen? Nope. Nope. I don't have anything. All no, right. good talking to you guys. Yeah, man, it's a great show. We still got people. Uh, still got people watching. That's good. <laughs> we didn't bore them too much, so. And uh, feel will... free. What? 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 What were you saying? Well, I was gonna say what you were gonna say, but then I stopped because you were gonna say it. I said we'll we'll be seeing everyone for THP episode number one forty. On Thursday. Nice. Don't forget to check out the fine folks of the Pacific Northwest at Puget Sound Pythons. And, uh, dude, we have three more. Is it three yeah. or is it four more episodes? This do, like, is you episode count 97. Both? Right, but I'm saying, like, do we count? Do we only have three left until the one? It's going to be two after this one. 98, 99. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. So the third one is the episode 100. What are we going to do, man? I don't know. We need to, we, we say, we've been saying this for the last like six months that we're going to talk about it and figure something out, but we got to do it. 
Got to do. Tell you, man. Raven Hoser. That's what you need to do. Hoser one hundred. If the roast of Raymond Hoser. Well, how about this? Yes, if you I, need to if, have him come on, have him explain his uh, <laughs> explain his life. I'm telling you, man, that's that's how you get your ratings up. You got to have Raymond Hoser come on here and discuss Dude, uh, his uh, taxonomical findings. Well, I'll be honest. If I got him on, would you have him on, Justin? You should do it. I'm telling you, man. You should. Okay, it's <laughs> it's talked about so much in the reptile community. You could be. You could be the guy that has on the controversial figure. You could be the guy. I'll save that for other hosts that are desperate. Ooh, burn. You know some people are going to do it, and it's going to be very well listened to, but I get it. None of which being the NPR crew, just so everyone knows. (laughs) Vic has a good idea. We'll do a roundtable, but I don't know. We'll, we'll, We'll figure it out. We will figure it out. All right, kids. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. We love you all. Later. Bye.